Every step I take, I move my truth. Every time they tell me stop, I use. Every comment, hate that makes my feel. Gather up my energy and boom. I hear them talking, saying the way that I move is so reckless. That is a part of my mind I've been blessed with. Giving my blood so I am relentless. Well, here we are. It's the Keep Hammering Collective with Evan Hafer. How you doing? I'm doing good. Yeah, thanks for having me, Cam. I appreciate it. Have you been here before to Eugene's no. field? No, what, the, somebody was telling me this uh, on the way down here from Seattle. They're they're calling it Track City. Is, Track, that, what it, is that what it's called? Or Track Town USA. Track Town USA. Track Town USA. Yeah. Okay. Because, uh, you know, Steve Prefontaine, I don't yeah, know if you know him. He was from here and then the University of Oregon, big right. track, I don't know, history and the Olympics. The Olympic trials are here often. We just had the world championships here. So a lot of big track meets, but yeah, it's definitely track town. It's track town. Did yeah. you run track? No. You didn't run track? Football, basketball, baseball. Okay. No, no track. So I stole, I want to start your podcast with <laughs> <laughs> saying yep. I stole this hat from your bathroom. Mm. <laughs> I like that hat. Where's that hat from, Tanner? <laughs> Huh? eBay. 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 Yeah. <laughs> I, went to, I was like, corduroy that's buck. A that's yeah. a, hey, those are like the gas station hats. Yeah. I used to buy those all the time. Yeah. It was like the, the trucker hat foam. Yeah. And I remember I had one, if I was going to hunt bear, it had a bear on it. If I had, I had another one, if I had a deer on it, and that was, that works right there. It works. My my grandpa, old school Idahoan logger, he had this, uh, th this, this hat growing up, obviously, I, you know, rural logging community in Northern Idaho. Mm -hmm. My grandpa did everything. He was like the judge, the grave digger, the, the television repairman. Like Mayor. he did everything. Yeah. And 800 people in the town. Right. But, um, I would drive around with him as he was doing, uh, he would go out and check meters for water in his old Toyota truck. And he had this foam hat with a uh, pheasant on it. And it's yeah. in Idaho big cock country <laughs> <laughs> i never understood what it meant yeah. like you know like like i remember uh you know he he had like a a, a wide variety of profanity that he would be able to throw at different different yeah. things and i would i would get these visual representations as my grandpa's saying something i'm like i don't have any clue what that is <laughs> why is he wearing that stupid hat with a pheasant on it you know that's like that's idaho yeah, yeah. Well, that reminds me of, I think it's Anchorman and he puts his leg up there and he says, feel that. And he's like, feels lower leg. He's like, feels like a rock hard cock, doesn't it? <laughs> Something like that. I know cock's just a good word. See, it is. It's a, it's a powerful word. It's a very powerful word. Yeah. I, I love Oregon. Um, my, my, I, I'm from right on the border, uh, Washington, Oregon, Idaho, right there. Mm. But I, my uncle was a school teacher in LaGrande for oh, yeah. 30 years. Mm -hmm. So like I've, I've spent a lot of time out here. He's such a cool guy. He had like a, he had an old mine out in, um, uh, was it the Wallawas? Yeah. He had, he had a mining claim out there. And, uh, so he's teaching school, you know, driving truck, he had a little farm. Had a mine. He had Looking for gold cool or what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, gold. yeah. yeah he'd yeah. go out for weeks on it. I used to, I used to drive through Legrand every year going elk hunting because the Wallowas is where I hunted the Eagle Cap Wilderness, mm -hmm. and, and that's awesome, just awesome elk country. But yeah, Legrand is, yeah, that's a good place to live. Yeah, I like it. It's a where small we, town. yeah, where we deer hunt, or I'm going to take Truett, and uh, 
this weekend, there's a guy there who's always in the creek there looking for gold. He's got his, God, I can, what is it called? I, I can't remember what it's called, but he gets rocks in there, shakes them around, yeah, looks yeah, for yeah. the gold flakes. Right. And he's got that in the, in the creek, but apparently they find gold there too. Seriously? Yeah. yeah. I always think about that like cruising around the mountains, you know, where they, where they used to mine gold mm-hmm. and, um, uh, up in Northern Idaho, I'm like, is there any gold left in this place? Like, if they just like pull it all out, I, that's the question. That's why they keep right? looking. Yeah, they keep <laughs> looking. Yeah. yeah, he used to he used to bring it out. He's such a cool guy. He died a few years ago, and uh, he used to pull out you know the little shaker vial of yeah. gold and Flakes. let us yeah let yeah. us check it out. And he was uh he was such an eccentric cool guy um, to be around. He was really used and comfortable being around kids because he was a teacher, right? And he right. had three or four kids of, of his own. Yeah. Leupold Optics has been providing my binoculars and eyewear for the last few years. I like that it's an Oregon company and they make such high quality glass. That's all I've really used. And if you can't find what you're hunting, it's going to be tough to kill. So Leupold Optics has really played an integral part in my success these last few years. Thank you, Leupold, for supporting the podcast we'd go out there and he would do these slideshows that were the fucking most boring thing you could have ever imagined <laughs> in your life. Like slides of what? Of like him and his cabin, you know, like panning so for gold. Around yeah. Turn off yeah, the lights, yeah. Put, put a sheet yeah. up type thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I would go out there and I'd be like, gosh, I want to hang out with Guy. It was my uh, uncle Guy. But do we have to do this slideshow? Like this is so bad, but I could just imagine him as a teacher. Yeah. Such a, such an interesting and eccentric guy that just loves a bunch of cool stuff, lives kind of out in a remote farming area. And, uh, he always had, he always had like this, like a, a profound desire to go out and do really, really interesting, hard things, mm-hmm. you know, like his mind was, 20 miles off grid. Yeah. Right? Or, you know, and he built the cabin by hand out in the middle of nowhere. He, he would pull in all the supplies and do all the logistics yeah. support by himself. And he'd be out there for weeks on end by himself. It was like, yeah, it's the simple life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we talked about having purpose, you know, so he, he knew what his purpose was, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he had a, had a goal. He wanted to do this. Didn't matter how long it took or who was there. That'd be, it'd be a pretty freeing, to, you know, we have nowadays, everything is weighing on us. People are mm-hmm. tugging on us. We want to, you know, make an impact here and there. And it's, man, the simple life sounds pretty good sometimes. Yeah. How, how much of that do you, do you kind of get into when you're, when you're disconnected from your phone, do you find it, um, a positive experience or do you find it gives you a bit of anxiety? No, I love it. Yeah. I love when we're going. Um, there's, you know, most places or a lot of places I hunt, there is no service. Right. You know, so I just like, um, I'm trying to think, you know, we were in Colorado this year and I had three tags. So we were hunting, doing big walks, covering lots of country. And uh, I just like being in the mountains walking. Right. I mean, just don't have to be anywhere. Just get the wind in your face it then see what you find you know i'm looking for i don't know i'm looking always looking for arrowheads um always looking for sheds or for deadheads or just cool wallows or rubs Mm -hmm. or you never know i just like exploring 
that's to me that's that's where I'm most at peace. Right. And then if I can kill something, I got my bow there. And we're good to go. But yeah, I don't know. How about you? What do you think? Um, I I find uh, being completely disconnected and in the wilderness is probably like outside of spending time with my kids. It's it's, it's my favorite thing. Mm-hmm. Like I, I don't. I think if if I ever like you know fall off of social media, people know where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Like I mean, I'll be in the mountains. Like constantly, I used to come back from deployments, and I would do. It was that. It was like is the R's is what I called it. Mm-hmm. And uh, reading, running, river river rafting because I spent a lot of time rowing boats. So it was like just R's. I'd just mm-hmm. go up into the mountains. I had a little uh, camper that I'd throw in the back of my Toyota, and I would spend three weeks or a month driving around. But by yourself? Yeah. Really? My dog, yeah. Me and my dog. And uh, I throw my kettlebells and my Olympic bar in the back of the camper. Mm-hmm. And uh, I do. I, I still do a lot of fly fishing too. Like I, I love to fly fish. I like, I like quiet and solitary things. Mm-hmm. I, I truly enjoy them. How, and then... Yeah, I was, I was just curious when you were saying all that. So where you grew up in Idaho... How, how, and now you're, are you CEO of Black Rifle Coffee? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm the CEO founder and, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of my job, I guess. How does, <laughs> I mean, how does one go from the small town in Idaho? Right. And then yeah. you enlisted were, mm-hmm. and did you sign a, you're a green beret, right? Yeah. 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 Did you sign a, a contract for that or were you just regular enlisted then evolved into it? Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's know that everyone has their season. Deer season, turkey season, duck season. Every animal is a unique challenge. Every hunt, a different experience. And I count on my local Cabela's store here in Springfield, Oregon to gear me up with all my hunting necessities. And you know, I like to support companies that give back to conservation. Under the leadership of founder John Morris, Bass Pro Shop and Cabela's are leading North America's largest conservation movement. Together with our partners, They're positively shaping the future of the outdoors through donations, grant writing, and advocacy. Head to their website, BassProShop.com or Cabela's.com and get geared up for your upcoming hunts. Yeah, I was an infantry guy. I was was going to school. I was in uh, what's called the Simultaneous Membership Program, which is like ROTC and the National Guard. And then between my junior and senior year, I went to Special Forces Assessment and Selection. so I wouldn't have to go to what's called advanced camp and become an officer. Uh, basically, I'm the, the, the short of the long is um, I've always just kind of been a bit controversial in everything I do. So mm-hmm. I, I had punched some kid that was a senior in ROTC, which is not out of the ordinary for me and my younger. <laughs> yeah. You know, you grew up short. You, you know, you just learned to like punch people in the face before they like, <laughs> before <laughs> they, anything. yeah, you just learn how to do it, man. You just like, I'm going to shut you up before you get a little bit too aggressive. <laughs> yeah. right? You know, like I'm five, seven, I'm a good day. I weigh 160 pounds. Right. And you know, my, my parents and my grandfather raised me. He was a short guy too. He's like, take no shit. Yeah. You know, like, press their button if they're going to, if they're going to pick on you. Beat you them to the punch. Beat so them. Yeah, yeah. So to speak. So I, I kind of, uh, jettisoned out and went to selection and became a green beret. I did that for a few years. And then I, 
and went over to the CIA for a few years for about 10 years. Between that, I mean, I did about 43 different three to, you know, five month rotations to Iraq and Afghanistan, um, as, uh, as a, as a contractor, like I said, it's called a direct contractor for the CIA. And uh, I stayed in the guard. I was an SF Green Beret doing stuff out of 19th group and kind of did, a, did a bunch of stuff, man. I, I worked, I worked in Africa for a while. I worked at the agency, did it, did kind of a, uh, uh, what I would say is the, um, the paramilitary rounds, I guess. Mm. And, and, uh, it was just interesting. It was, it was interesting things that, that I wanted to do. I wanted mm-hmm. to see different parts of the world. I wanted yeah. to be engaged in different areas of the world. And, uh, and then when I left, it was, uh, it wasn't hard. I, I, I was into coffee and I, I kind of, not kind of in 1997, I came out to the, the university of Washington and I'd met this girl in my anthropology class that worked at a coffee shop. That was a good class. I, I like anthropology. <laughs> it, was, it was awesome. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it was a, interesting. I always remember when I use the term atlatl, I yeah. always remember anthropology 101. <laughs> and I had this like kooky professor that was way into hunting with like yeah. longbows and primitive, you know, primitive hunting devices. And I built with a group of other three or four students, we built an atlatl nice. and it was awesome. It was yeah. such a cool class. Yeah. Um, but I met this girl and I wanted to, I wanted to get to know her. She worked at a coffee shop in mm. 1997 and I was like going to the coffee shop all the time, ordering espresso. Was it one of those bikini coffee shops? No, no. She was a good person. <laughs> she was like throwing them titties out, trying to earn a couple bucks. Right. Yeah. Cause uh, they, a lot of guys spend a lot of money at those coffee shops. I have, I'm not going to lie. Sometimes it's convenient, man. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's on the way to work. You're like, Oh, I don't know. They can't pull a shot to save their ass. But no, beer and titties. It. Yeah. Good combination. Yeah. Or not beer, coffee and titties. Coffee. Yeah. And they're still cool. I still like them. I mean, I don't, I don't not tell my wife like, "Oh, yuck, put on that shirt." I'm like, "Take that shirt off. Throw those things around. Come on, yeah. Don't be shy. Yeah, I uh, know it works. It sells. It's still cool. Yeah, it's still cool. Definitely, it's still cool. Uh, so that so she inspired your love of coffee. Yeah, that was uh, that was the first of it, and then Seattle had this emerging kind of micro small batch roaster specialty coffee scene that was that was really emerging in the late 90s and uh and how I, when did starbucks start was it around early the, early 90s same like time 80s. So yeah it was they like were, an offshoot of starbucks a little bit they kind of kicked it, it, it it's called second it's it's called first second third wave and so mm. first wave you could just kind of like pin that at like folgers maxwell house second wave you could say is like flavor crystals yeah. Remember like flavor crystals? <laughs> yeah. God, what were those things called? Uh, why? F- what was the name of that fucking coffee? God, we. Uban? Well, yeah, Uban. <laughs> I see it at your grandpa's yeah, house. I know. Your uncle's just like the worst. Oh, yeah. It tasted so terrible. Oh, bad. Um, and uh, I, so I, I got into coffee roasting. I, I And I'll tell you exactly the month and date hmm. that. Like espresso changed my life, and yeah. and it was November of 1997 in a cart espresso uh, maker 
in Capitol Hill in Seattle. And the, the, the coffee shop is called Vivace Coffee. And it's still okay. there. He's got three. Mm-hmm. He might have more now. It was just in Seattle. Um, but it was the single greatest shot of espresso I've ever had in my life. And it was, it was life-changing. Mm. So there's not too many people who can say, I know when right. yeah. the date and time. No. And at that point, I, was, I went and got this book on espresso and mm. I was really into it. And then I was going to go be a Green Beret and then um, come back to coffee. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm going to go do something in coffee. Um, but then these pesky global war on terror things kept happening. And I was like, this sounds pretty, pretty interesting. And, you know, I, I thought it was maybe going to last two or three years. And then it just kept going on and on. And I met my wife who had a coffee shop in Denver, Colorado in 2014. Mm. And I, I had been roasting coffee and I'd roasted thousands and thousands of pounds of coffee. And, and my wife had, had a coffee shop for several years and mm-hmm. I was like, shit, we can put these two things together. Yeah. And there you go. Black rifle coffee. Um, on all your deployments, you mentioned, what was the most important work you think you did during that time? If you had to look back at your career, what, um, what stands out? You know, it's, it's hard to say because there's mixed emotions about it in the context of, you know, we, you know, the invasion of Iraq was important. Um, I think, you know, my feelings about it are, you know, the the soldiers and the sailors, the airmen, the guy that actually fought the wars. Uh, we did our job. Mm-hmm. We did we did a damn good job doing it. Um, you know, our, our politicians continue to, to F it up, like just like paint by numbers mm-hmm. and... You know, I would say regime change would have worked if we would have had the political wherewithal to make sure the Iranians didn't come back come back in from the Shia side, which was, you know, you kind of have main, you know, we'll say the Shia and the Sunni. And we, we essentially popped a cap on it, pushed out the Ba'ath Party, and then handed it back to Iranian influence. And I'm just not in the business of, you know, sacrificing, you know, my friends and my time so we can hand shit over to the Iranians. Like Mm -hmm. it makes me feel really angry. Yeah. (laughs) Um, You know, but I think out of all the things that we did in, you know, Iraq and Afghanistan, I think we did a ton of important work. I think it would have been way more relevant if we would have had the political wherewithal and the strategy to implement a long-term pushback against what I would feel is um, our our greatest strategic threats, Mm -hmm. China, Russia, Iran, North Korea. And I, I, like I, I don't find them in any, I'm not delusional, right? I'm like, they're bad actors. Mm-hmm. They're just bad actors. Mm-hmm. They're bad countries doing bad things. They're supporting terrorism. They're doing all kinds of really, really horrible shit all mm-hmm. the time. And um, there has to be a logical and ethical international presence to represent American hegemony. People take controversy that's a that's like a controversial statement because people don't want us to be the police of the world mm-hmm. we we have to 
maintain economic hegemony because mm -hmm. if we don't, China's going to take our place. Right. And I don't want to live in that world where China has international control, control over what we do from a capitalistic perspective. I just right. don't. Mm -hmm. um, so I do think that, that it's, you know, having a robust military, doing the things that we, we did, I think there was a lot of the right, um, the right idea, the wrong follow through. Mm -hmm. Like Saddam was a bad guy. Whoever says he wasn't, no, he was a, he was a piece of shit. Like, yeah, yeah. Him and his sons were like, they were really, really unethical, like to the point of which we wouldn't even recognize it from an ethics perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, but maybe he was the only guy that could have maintained control out of that country because yeah. it's, it's a mess. Right. Um, but I think out of everything, to go back to your point, um, I did a lot of work in Afghanistan leading up to the... Uh, uh, bin Laden raid around asset and information collection, which was really important. Um, I had a I had a couple years there where I was I was really active in pursuing a lot of bad guys, mm -hmm. and I think um, that was probably the most important work I did. Uh, and then I had the opportunity to go out and train other people for stabilization region region stabilization around counter poaching in Botswana, which was Northern Africa, mm -hmm. or Northern Botswana and the Okavango Delta. Uh, went to the, the Southeast Asia and the Philippines and trained guys to protect themselves against terrorism. You know, it, terrorism is a, is, a, is a legitimate threat. Mm -hmm. We see it, we see it unfolding today. We see how Hamas can destabilize an entire region we see it um it it is something that we sh i think we should be involved in as far as a pushback it's it's a it's a really her i mean it's it's terrorism is exactly what that is it's mm -hmm. psychological terror yeah and it puts people into a circumstance of unease where they can't live happy and fulfilling lives mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter if you're in southeast asia or the middle east Wherever you go, if you're being terrorized by lunatics, right. your life is it's not as it's not as good as what no. you and I got. It's oh, just right. not. Right. Um yeah, so a lot of people say, well, we shouldn't be involved in wars in Ukraine and and yeah. the Hamas situation over there. Right. And so your your feelings is somebody has to, right? I mean, or or somebody has to address the terrorism. Somebody has to address the terrorism. And I, I, I have like a very contradicting opinion on some of this stuff. So bear with me while yeah. I just contradict myself all over the place. I don't, it doesn't really matter to me anymore because like I, I'm not a, uh, 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 um, international strategic thought leader. My point with, with the, with the Ukraine specific endeavor is that they're, we can't continue to spend American blood and treasure in these countries to the point of which we're, we're putting ourselves into national debt that will jeopardize our sovereignty. Mm -hmm. We can't because it defeats the purpose. Right. And if we want to elect a different outcome, you know, I don't necessarily believe, even though I just said regime change 
could have been good in Iraq. It could have, if you would have executed and the follow-through would have been correct. Could mm -hmm. have been, right? Because we've done it before and it worked. Japan, I think, is a gleaming example. You know, Germany is a is a is a good example, but we haven't had the follow-through in order to do it correctly for decades because we don't have the politicians that will execute against it and then implement a long-term economic strategic vision that ultimately uplifts the entire economy. Well, why Why do you think that's a, I mean, we're supposedly <clears throat> the most advanced country, the smartest yeah. people. Well, why would, why is that such a problem to follow through and have, mm -hmm. do they not want to solve it in some ways? I don't think so. I think you have a, well, that, that's where I'll get into like contradicting myself in the mm -hmm. Ukraine, which is, I don't like Russia. I, I'm not like a Russia guy. I don't really care about it in mm -hmm. one way or another. Uh, Russians are great. They're amazing people. I've got an incredible history. You know, Putin, meh, whatever. He's he's a cartel leader. He's he's this, this, and that. There's nothing like redeemable necessarily about some of these people. And they're mm -hmm. all kind of like ego-driven, somewhat maniacal and sociopathic, right? Mm -hmm. They're all kind of like built on the same kind of uh, psychological and genetic overlay. Um, I'm just not in the business of spending billions and billions yeah. of American dollars. If we don't have what I would say is clear, concise, goal-oriented objectives that right. allow us to withdraw in an organizational effort where we have clear success criteria. So the American public knows what we're getting into. What, what kind of bill are we signing up to pay for here? You don't yeah. go to a five-star restaurant it's and a they blank check it seems like <laughs> like yeah. if, if you go to if you go to Denny's and they hand you a ten thousand dollar bill, do you think you might be like, what the what did I just get here? Yeah. You know, like mm -hmm. so I think you know, we as Americans, we we have paid too much and too high of a cut too high of a cost mm -hmm. for these wars that we've been in for two decades now. We just it's too high of a cost. There's too much blood. There's too much treasure that's been that's been pushed into these endeavors. It's too much. Mm -hmm. So now, if we do have something that we have to do, we don't we don't have the endurance for it as a country. Mm -hmm. We don't we don't have the appetite. We don't want it. And then you add the military industrial complex into this, which is like lobbying specifically, obviously to 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 implement. The, basically the transference of wealth from the American taxpayer into the military industrial complex. Um, that's why I'm such a proponent of, of, of special operations. It's a, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a great return on the taxpayer investment. Mm -hmm. You can go direct to source, you can eliminate the threat, bring the guys home, move on with our life. Uh, large scale conventional military occupations are super expensive, both in blood and treasure. Yeah, deadly, yeah. Deadly. Mm -hmm. And you can't just pull the plug and get out. Yeah. yeah. And like special forces can go yeah. in, do your mission, come back. Well, Afghanistan is a great example. I think we had cleared out the Taliban in, uh, uh, you know, uh, October by, by uh, Christmas, the Taliban had essentially been pushed out of Afghanistan, something mm -hmm. like that. Like, we'll just call it like January. And that was with sub 300 guys. Mm -hmm. driving an entire unconventional guerrilla force out of a country, pushing them back into their caves. You did that with a handful of, a handful of special operations guys and some Afghans. Mm -hmm. Well, 
talk about talk about um, a, an incredible resource for us to be able to implement yeah. the elimination of a threat strategically with you know 300 400 guys combination of CIA and special forces um, and then we started then we started the war of occupation mm-hmm now that's where the real money comes in. And yeah. that's where the military industrial complex starts licking their chops because they're like, ah, we're going to move tanks now, right? We're yeah. going to build bases. We're going to move tanks. We're going to build MRAPs. We're going to arm everybody. That's when the exploitation right. of the capitalist system moves in. And when I'm saying that, we live in a relatively open society where we can lobby our... You know, our representatives to spend our money. Yeah. If we build tanks and airplanes. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like, it's a little, it's a little bit crazy. Like yeah. when you think about it. And by the way, I'm not the smartest guy when it comes to this. So whatever I say is probably, you know, half cooked and a little bit salty <laughs> based on the fact that I've, I've spent the majority of my adult life in Afghanistan and Iraq. Yeah. I think they do a good job. I don't know if it's, I don't know if we can use the word good, but they do it. They, they're effective at uh, convincing the public that we need to do this and move in and, you know, have an occupation here. And, you know, this is the right thing to do because America's the beacon of hope. And so right. we need to be there. And so they convince the public that to take pretty much all our money and invest there, weaken our country um, financially and I, militarily, I guess, in some ways, if you're moving thousands of guys over there. When, when, as you pointed out, three or 400 special ops guys are, I mean, so effective. And I was going to, that, that had me, um, curious what, why are, why are our special forces guys so good? What, why are we that effective? I mean, do we have the best military, best training, best men? I mean, I think every day that goes by, uh, every day that we don't encourage a warrior class, like a, a, a class of what I would say is, is war fighters within our culture, mm-hmm. people that are willing to pick up the sword and fight for us. Hey guys, looking to take your wellness to the next level? Blokes can help you. They are a modern health optimization service for men that is devoted to your physical, sexual, and mental health. From the convenience of your home, Blokes helps you test your hormones, consult with a board-certified clinician about your results, and receive a personalized plan and treatment specifically for you. Blokes' mission is to optimize men from the inside out. Patients come to them feeling old, tired, overweight, and like things aren't what they used to be. Blokes wants to help get that pet back in their step. Blokes improves men's lives by optimizing their hormones, the most essential chemical messengers in the body. Blokes is going to send someone to my house to draw my blood. No appointment was required, and I'm really excited to be partnering with them so I can keep hammering for another day. They're offering you guys 20% off labs if you use code CAM at blokes.co slash CAM. It's a time that's ticking away where we won't be. Mm-hmm. And do you, you know, feel like that's like society's changing to where that's not celebrated to be it's, a, it's a leader and a, and a, a warrior. You feel it. You, you, you know, I mean, I think we feel it in the national narrative. You have people every day 
trying to take our right, rights away, mm-hmm. whether it's the right to bear arms, whether it's the right to hunt, whether it's like they want, you know, you, you hear it, you hear it with toxic masculinity or you right. hear people trying to, to, um, to pull apart the, and, and the men and women that protect our country every day and, and they want to sign up to do it. They gladly will do it. And, you know, I mean, you, you've seen the commercials, right? You've seen like, um, I, I, I remember the CIA commercial they released that made me want to vomit. You know, there's this lady that's talking about how she has like anxiety and depression. She's on like 12 different meds and she's like, I work for the CIA. I'm like, really? That's great. Good for you. Yeah. Like, what do you do? Like, drive a forklift like you shouldn't be doing anything to be fair like yeah. not healthy it's not healthy mm-hmm. you know it's it's just like this narrative around it's okay just to be you well why not just be the better you like mm-hmm. work on yourself you know like uh, i'm making everybody else accept <laughs> yeah. you with all your flaws how about just be better just be better yeah like yeah. how much time do you spend training right like, I mean, a huge percentage of your adult life, you've spent working hard to be passionate about the things that you me? believe in. You. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, every day. Every day. Hours a day. I mean, it says it right here. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, like, you know, you and I could roll out of bed and we could start our day with, you know, a pack of cigarettes and a, and a carton and I, or, a, you know, a gallon of ice cream. Mm-hmm. We could. Yeah. But that's weakness. Yeah. It's okay to put out the fact that you want to be strong. Yeah. You want to succeed. Discipline. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like Jocko says it, discipline equals freedom. Right. And then people get trapped into this, what I think is ultimately a propaganda campaign into saying it's okay to just do whatever impulse comes into your head and you don't need discipline. And ultimately, discipline will, will, will it, it, it's, it, it's, it's the problem. Mm-hmm. You've heard it. Yeah. You've yeah. heard it. It's, it's disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. They turn, they turn like being fit into like a white thing. Yeah. You know, they want to make it that that's racist somehow. <laughs> right. Training right. and working out. It's like, so you, you said uh, the propaganda, so are they, is the goal to make a dependent weak society is what you I think? think? So. Yeah. I think so. I think that this is my, I don't know, half tinfoil hat, but it's actually not because I think our, our enemies directly gain when we weaken our society and we degrade our warrior class mm-hmm. because when we're not in, in, Man, we, we, we've talked about this. I've talked about this downrange with guys all the time where we have a pro-gun society of hunters mm-hmm. and we grew up with these things. We're really good with firearms. We are the best in the world with firearms. Like we can match any tier one organization in the world and go up against them and take their lunch money every day. Because we grew up with these things. Yeah. We grew up out in the woods. We grew up shooting with our, you know, our, our, our family. We grew up with these. They're, they're, they're embedded into the culture and the fiber of America. Mm-hmm. And it also, you know, I just read the statistic. We have four and a half million firearms 
in the United States. It also prevents people from coming in here saying, yeah, yeah I'm going to take it over. Yeah, you, I don't think so. Right. You know, hey, Red Dawn, that's not <laughs> going to work out too well in yeah. Oregon, especially Eastern Oregon. It might mm. work out great in Portland, but right. not in Eastern Oregon. Right. Those ranchers aren't going to really put up with it too long, right? No. It's, uh, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, <clears throat> did you, that got me thinking about something else. Did you notice in all your training and all, all your experience, did you notice a difference between rural guys and city guys as far as yeah. how how uh, how good they were at the job? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think rural guys it lends them it, the job in their life lends them to succeed at a, at an easier. It's 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 much easier for them. Mm -hmm. You know, like like I grew up in a family. And all my relatives were like loggers. They were, they were, you know, falling trees, hooking logs. They were, and they would work. They would get up really early mm -hmm. and I would see them like packing saws, you know, living in the woods yeah. and they would grind themselves into moon dust. Yeah. Like toughest guys I know are loggers. They are. Yeah. And they would, they would live on coffee in Copenhagen. Mm-hmm. And they're just like up and down the mountains all day long. They're living on coffee in Copenhagen, you know, like fallen yeah. trees. And they're walking on logs in the middle of like on, you know, slanted downhills, doing the craziest shit you could imagine. Yeah. And then I was thinking, you know, you go to special forces and this is going to be like a bunch of crazy guys doing crazy stuff. And you go to selection and like, my uncle works harder than this every day. What? what? <laughs> yeah. Like you're giving me three meals a day. I, I get to sleep. Mm -hmm. My dad gets up at four thirty in the morning. I. No offense, Jocko, but my dad gets up. He's seventy six <laughs> years old. He's been doing it since he was eighteen. Like yeah. he's not. It's not new for guys. I think it's just we lost contact with it. So if you grow up in a blue collar family, where you watch people work hard you go into that and you're like, yeah, it's just hard work. Mm -hmm. It's really hard work. It's hard, dangerous, and exciting work. So now you're going to pay me to jump out of airplanes at night with night vision goggles and you're going to give me a bunch of guns? Sounds, what? This sounds, is shit I used to dream about. <laughs> sounds pretty sick. <laughs> sounds awesome. What are you kidding yeah. me? Yeah. I mean, and now the older I get or whatever, you know, like we were talking about it yesterday with a bunch of my buddies. I was like, man, I can't believe they let us do that. That's crazy. <laughs> this guy should not have let us do that. <laughs> yeah. So, so other than the, the hardcore, I mean, <clears throat> I know they make you guys miserable to see what you're made of type thing, but yeah. as far as a lot of the work sounds pretty fun. Super fun. <laughs> Super fun. Like I, I was just fortunate enough to be in that, uh, you know, in that, I guess, track of people where, you get to do a bunch of really, really fun stuff, mm -hmm. but you have to go through a bunch of bullshit in order to get to the fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and you got to prove you can be trusted. You got to prove like you're not going to quit because it's the biggest problem. Mm -hmm. It's quitters. Like I, I see this a lot. It's like quitting is a malfunction in the DNA. Like if you have quitting mm -hmm. in your DNA, if there's a thing that you know, like, you know, I'm going to quit. Well, that, that needs to be kind of eliminated from the team, right? It does, because you can't have quitters. You can't have guys in the middle of a gunfight deciding they just didn't want to get into this profession. It's like, what? Yeah. No, man, yeah. this ain't the time. Like, right. you can't do it. And 
things get nasty. Like they, they get really, really hard, like physically and psychologically. You're terrified. Anybody mm -hmm. who says they're not terrified, they're fucking liars mm -hmm. or they have like a mental problem. Mm -hmm. You're terrified. Like, so you're doing the hardest physical thing that you've ever done and you're terrified to the point that sometimes you're, you know, like your limbs don't even work. Right. As we all know, I've been putting all my guests through a pretty good cardio session on Mount Pisgah. Go Ruck is a welcome new addition to the podcast and lift run shoot series. I love the 80 pound sandbags, but I'm not sure how my guests feel about it. But what do they say? Pain is weakness leaving the body. All the people at Go Ruck are beasts and I'm thrilled to partner with them. We use the rocks and sandbags on almost every episode. And now you can take your training to the next level as they are offering listeners 10% off when you use code CAM, C-A-M, at goruck.com. See you guys on the mountain. You better not forget that weight. If you get through that mm -hmm. and get on the other side and you do that time after time again, it somewhat gets easier. How did you get through it? Because you had feelings like that. Or do you remember just being overwhelmed and how, what'd you, yeah. what'd you do? Um, well, I, I started working on it before I, I started working on just the, the psychological and stress, the response to basically sensory overload be, before, and I had to continue to work on it all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, and I would do things intentionally that fucking terrified me hmm, like because what? like rock climbing is a really easy one. Mm -hmm. It's, I, I don't, I'm not, um, I, I don't like heights. Uh, it's, I'm not, a, I'm not afraid of heights, mm -hmm. but I also, I'm not going to go out and like stand on the edge of your roof for fun. Right. right? I'm not going to like stand on your, on your deck and be like, well, look at me, I'm balancing. Yeah. Like, I don't like it. it yeah. It's It's just not something I'm into. Um, and I, I went out and I started doing a lot of rock climbing because mm -hmm. it was terrifying. You know, mm -hmm. and you, when you're placing pro and you're building a route and you're doing all this and you got a guy below you, you, you don't know that's going to hold. Mm -hmm. And if you're doing a multi-pitch climb and you're, you know, hundred, 200 feet in the air, it's terrifying. Yeah. For me, it's terrifying. So I'd climb all the time. I don't like it, mm -hmm. but I do it all the time because it scared the shit out of, your out of comfort me. zone. Yeah. Learn to deal with it. <laughs> yeah. Not panic. Not panic. Like, yeah. you know, my, my hands would be shaking. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like I had Parkinson's trying to put, you know, pro into a, to a crack line because I didn't like it. It mm -hmm. was terrifying. And, uh, I climbed all the time mm. because it, 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 it was like, if I can do this, then when, when it counts, when I need it to count, mm -hmm. I might be able to control my emotions and not get so terrified I can't function. Um, and I like outdoor sports. So I started whitewater kayaking and climbing and doing a bunch of stuff like that because it's terrifying. Were there guys that you learned from over there on how to deal with it or that helped you? Or is it just kind of everybody's on their own, just have to process it? Everybody's kind of on their own. I mean, training helps. It does, but you're never really that terrified. You, and you, training, yeah. No, it's controlled. It's controlled. Like, you know you're going to be okay, you know? You're not, you're not putting yourself into a scenario where it's you. Yeah. You know, whitewater kayaking, 
I still love it. Um, I don't do a whole lot of it because I, I, you know, I got kids and a family. I, I like bigger boats, but you know, running a big river in a really small boat is terrifying. I bet. And I would go and do stuff like that, mm-hmm. and I naturally would lend all my recreation. So everything around my life, inside and outside of my life, was completely built around one. What are the psychological and stress factors that I, I might encounter? Out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do I control it? And then how do I become fit to be able to accomplish the task and also control my stress? Mm-hmm. And then the first time you're in a gunfight, you actually don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Like, what? What is this? What's going on? Because it's happening too fast. Your mind can't really con- compute what's going on. Yeah. You don't really understand it until you're like, wait, okay, this is this is what we're doing now. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it changes. It, it, you know, there's like, it's like a, it's like a river almost, mm-hmm. you, know, you go through a bad part and then you have a calm part and you go mm-hmm. through a bad part. And you, it's like so interesting how whitewater kayaking is so, so similar in, in different, different ways. So it's climbing because mm-hmm. you might have a really difficult pitch that you're working your ass off on that, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to hit, <laughs> you're going to hit hard if you mess it up and, and then you're going to rest. Right. And then you're going to, it's like. You go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And uh, and then combat, because then it became more of now I'll get my reps in downrange. And then I started coming back home and I started really working on um, stress inoculation and how to really pull through those experiences into training. How do we really build a training scenario that allows us to really prepare? Because I hadn't seen anything like it in Mm -hmm. my training. So that became a really primary focus for me was just trying to build something that replicated as close as you could. You can never get it. You can never get it like exact, but it's to come as close as you could. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you have to, you have to fucking torture people. Yeah. It is not a fun I mean, it's kind of is for the instructor, <laughs> but you, you have to like, you have to put, find out what they're capable of to you, see if you put them in this position, they're going to fold or are they going to perform? You have to, mm-hmm. and it's your job. It's, mm-hmm. it's your, it's not only your job, it's your duty. It's your right. ethical responsibility to the force to keep people alive by putting them through the worst shit they've ever seen in their lives. Is, uh, <clears throat> I can imagine that, of course, I've never served. I got so much respect. My son has, you have. I, I look up to people who serve just like with so much admira- admiration and a little jealousy in some ways. I wish I would yeah. have been, had my shit together, but I didn't. So, <laughs> fuck, I'm just whatever, a loser. But <laughs> no. Um, so, <clears throat> but the, the team aspect of it, because I, I would assume it's a lot different if you're going through that with teammates yeah. as opposed to if you were in a situation by yourself. Yeah. You know, you would, did you ever get separated or were you ever on your own on anything like that? It's just, you always had other guys there to rely on. Who's had another guy? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, I'm, training is always kind of individual. Mm-hmm. You know, it's an individual selection and assessment. And then, and then you're put on a team and then you're, you know, there are places and times when I'm alone, different mm-hmm. countries, but there's like a guy a block away or whatever, yeah. right? We might be doing something like, you know, surveillance or, or counter surveillance where we're setting up on a target and you might be alone for a very short amount of time. But most of the time it's like 
twos, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I would be out with somebody else, and but you're you're always with somebody else. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's so weird, <laughs> you know. Like you're like sleeping, you know, in the same room with other, you know, other guys. Like my entire adult life, like I was just thinking about this a lot. Where, you know, I've never, I've never really been alone. Right. It's like I'd come home and be alone for a couple weeks at a time. But the rest of my time, I was like, he's in a team room with other dudes all the yeah. time. You're like sleeping in open bays, or, you know, sometimes you get your own room. A lot of times you would at the agency. Um, beer with guys all the time. Mm-hmm. And you're the fucking worst. Like, mm-hmm. I, like, that's the other thing that people don't understand is like a team room is the most politically incorrect environment you can spend your time you're the grossest humans on the planet because you're (laughs) you're doing the most politically incorrect act uh, available in our professional work environment Mm -hmm. you're you're going out hunting people yeah that's what you're doing right and so you're you're vile human beings like you're just (laughs) like like it's 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 like uh it's like uh it's like a kill Tony show all the time. Mm-hmm. And you are crushing people's souls. Like that, that is like your job is to sniff out the weakness in a team room and then turn the entire, the entire like pack on whatever is going to be the weakest thing. So if somebody, right. if somebody says something and they show like a glimmer <laughs> of weakness, yeah. the entire group will fold in on it right. and tear them apart. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's like a necessary evil almost, yeah, isn't it? It is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, cause you have to be, I mean, people talk about being tough or being resilient. It's just like a whole next level to, to put you guys in that situation. I mean, you have to be made of something special. You have to be resilient. You have to be, yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, very unique skill set. It's like, um, you know, somebody is like, it's thick skinned. And I was making a joke because my buddy um, Omar, he's burnt over like sixty percent of his body or whatever, and yeah. I was calling him tough skin instead of thick skin. <laughs> and, yeah. And uh, you know, like, and we've made just like, I mean, I, I just got back from my buddy's funeral, and I was with a bunch of guys that I served with, and uh, we picked up instantly, like, like as if I hadn't left the team room, but. 15 minutes ago mm-hmm. and this might've been 15 years ago and instantly like my buddy showed up in this like platinum 450 diesel. And the first joke out of my mouth was like, how do you tell somebody with a micro penis? I got a fucking <laughs> platinum 450. And he's like, and he like, gulp, he doubled over laughing. Yeah, you know, my yeah. other buddy is a general, he's a one-star general. Wow. And I walked up and I grabbed his ass, like a yeah. big handful of his ass <laughs> And he turned around like he was mad initially because he was like, who in the hell has the audacity to do this? He turned around, he's like, oh man, that's awesome, you know? And um, it's the most fun because, and we talk about it all the time, and all the guys are in different work environments, you know, some work fire, some work in, you know, police, some work in their own businesses or in the medical field, they're all gone. They're like, the thing we miss the most is like being in the team room because it was the brotherhood. Like, no, you could you could you could be free. You could just say what you wanted to say. You could make 
the worst joke on the planet. And people were like, that's awesome. Good, good one. You know? And people miss that. You could be the biggest fuck, like on the weekend, be the biggest fuck up. Everybody's still going to love you. Everybody. Yeah. They're not going to be judging you for, oh, you got so drunk. You can't (laughs) believe it's just like, no, they're they're actually telling you like, why didn't you get more drunk? We don't understand. Well, you're still wearing your clothes. What are you? It's weak. Um, I, well, so as everybody knows or could guess, that's probably the biggest transition back out of the military is how do you replace that? Because you have this brotherhood where, mm. you know, it's, you could rely on each other, obviously life and death. And most places aren't like that. Mm. You're at a, you're at a job. Nobody there's going to die for you. I mean, probably maybe some, but generally no. Generally no. <laughs> so how do you go from where it's, there's, there's basically no rules. You guys, you'd love each other. You're hard on each other, but you always have each other's back to like, now this is a regular s- set of society rules. It, it's hard. I, you know, it, it takes, it takes a lot. And I think, you know, I, I think that's been a huge challenge for a lot of my peer group is they don't, they have a hard time finding where they're going to fit in with another culture that allows them to be them. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that, that's one of the reasons why, like, I, I hunt personally, like, it's like, I got away from it <clears throat> for years, you know, I was busy and I came back to it about six years ago because I, I needed something else. I needed something that was hard. Mm-hmm. I, needed, I needed a challenge. I needed to be able to, you know, take something and then pull it back onto my table. I needed something that I could go out and experience camaraderie and, you know, spend time out in the mountains with yeah. people I care about. And I think, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult for a lot of guys. I see it. I hear it. I hear it in their voice. I hear it in what they're talking about. Uh, and I think, you know, part of what I do is just like, look at what I do. Don't listen to what I say. Cause like half the shit I say is ridiculous, but just like watch, you know, I started a business. I started a business with my, my friends from the former soft community because like I'm not meant for public consumption most of the time. Like mm-hmm. I can't go and work somewhere else. Like I, I spent my entire life around a bunch of animals, like mm-hmm. doing like horrible shit, saying horrible shit. Yeah. Like I got to just build my own thing because you're not going to fit in. I'm somewhere not going to fit in. Yeah, structure. Yeah, I'm not going to do it. So it's like I built my own thing. Mm-hmm. I didn't have any money. Yeah, mm-hmm. like my dad was a logger. Right. Like I didn't get a fucking check. Like I left, when I left the agency, it was like, I had saved some money. I had a 450 square foot house in the mountains of Colorado, a Toyota Tacoma and a, you know, a condo that I'd bought in Seattle. But dude, I didn't, I didn't come from money. I didn't have anything. Mm-hmm. I had a coffee roaster in my garage I'd been using recreationally. And I'd like, I was like, my wife knew how to, you know, serve coffee. She had a coffee shop. I knew how to roast coffee. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to figure it out. Mm-hmm. You know why? Because I can't work for anybody else. Got to do it. Hoyt Archery has been my bow hunting sponsor since 2005. 
And personally, I really don't care what bow you shoot, what brand it is. I just hope that you have the same level of confidence in your equipment as I have in mine. Because I know if I get one opportunity with my Hoyt, it's going to pay off. And I got to build a culture of people that also allows me to be me. Because I, I can't, you know, sew my mouth shut and yeah. do, I can't, I can't, it's not possible for me. Right. And so it's like, just watch what I did and go, you know what? I, I can't conform to, you know, maybe I can't conform to the, the corporate culture. Cool. Go start a business. Mm-hmm. You know, I, and I, I try really hard to, to just kind of emphasize action, speak louder than words. And one, I don't like the sound of my voice, so it's easier for me to like <laughs> do shit and <laughs> figure it out. You know, and then start some hobbies that you're really passionate about that you find really fulfilling that you can build another team team around mm-hmm. and plug in. You know, I think I think my biggest passions, you know, in my life are you know my kids. Obviously, my and I don't want to say obviously because I know a lot of guys that their kids aren't their passion, but it's like I'm super plugged in with them. Mm-hmm. I, I love it. They're awesome. They're super cool humans, and they. I find it's not my duty, right? Like a lot of fathers will say like, you know, it's, it's the greatest job I ever had. I'm like, dude, I don't look at it as a job. This is like the fucking coolest thing I've ever done yeah. in my life. Yeah. Like I don't find any trepidation whatsoever in doing things with my kids. Like I'm super plugged in. This is mm-hmm. what I want to do. And I'm like, can be really selfish, be a hundred percent consumed and never feel guilty that I'm depriving something else. Hmm. It's like one of the only things in my life that I feel like that. Everything mm-hmm. else is like, if I go hunting, I'm like, man, I should be spending time with my kids or I yeah. should be doing this. Like I'm kind of divided, but my kids are epic. Mm-hmm. And so finding those things you're really passionate about. And I've been trying to push guys more towards like, just try a bunch of shit. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, <clears throat> MacArthur, Eisenhower, Patton, um, all these guys were painters, mm-hmm. like all of them painted. Like you don't have to just like do what everybody else is doing. Like do your own thing, go learn yeah. the guitar, go play the drums. Like, I, I don't know, but find your own, find your own thing. Right. Yeah. As a, yeah, I mean, it's, I, that's great advice, but you've had so much success. So you just, you didn't have any, nobody wrote a check. You had a little coffee maker or coffee roaster. And now it's black rifles. Like, freaking iconic so how <laughs> how did that happen how did i mean you you say watch what i i do not what i say because you're unfiltered yeah, right? yeah um yeah. but how have you how have you done that because you know i hear what you're saying and yeah find your passion you know that's hard it is it is you know how many people are like how'd you know that bow hunting was your passion right. how do how, people it's so hard to say, oh yeah, I'm going to find my passion. What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, other yeah, than yeah. your advice yeah. about trying things yeah. is, is good. I think hunting is a good one for people mm-hmm. in the military, it seems like, because it is, it's not, it's not similar and, you know, but it's similar. It is. You got to be dedicated. You got to be, you know, all in essentially yeah. to be the best. Um, so hunting seems like it's been a good one for a lot of guys. But yeah, it's like, how have you went from this to... I don't even know how many millions black rifles worth, but it's an, it's incredible the journey. How? 
Well, I think number one, um, like I kill fear. Like fear is a cancer. So if people said, no, this wouldn't work or you can't do this. Fuck them. Yeah. Like not only like, like when you have self doubt and part of this is like, you know, there's part luck, but most of it is just the fact that one, I'm, I'm stubborn and I'm a hundred percent committed. Like a lot of people in, you know, this isn't me degrading people, but it's like, they don't have the ability to just endure. This is a grind, man. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, people look at it and they think how lucky. And I'm like, I've never in my life thought about quitting anything I've done. Mm-hmm. Not one thing. Mm-hmm. I've never been close. Mm-hmm. I've never gone to selection and been like, I'm going to quit. Mm-hmm. Never been like that. I don't even have it in my DNA. Right. In the last 10 years of this business, it's the only time it's ever in my life like snuck into my head. Where I'm like, oh, dude. Yeah. It feels like you're just getting beat to shit on the ropes just day just, after day. Just stuff that was out of your control is what you felt like or yeah, circumstances. I mean, what what's been macro, that? micro, you know, it's like macro, micro economic conditions, you know, people misinterpreting what I say. And I say shit all the time. I've said shit in this podcast that can be like well, you can take that snippet and post it somewhere, you know? And everybody doesn't have to agree with me. Like, mm-hmm. it's fine. Like, I'm, I'm an opinion-based guy. I'm very binary. People either like me, they don't like me. I'm very black and white. But I've never in my life been a quitter. Mm-hmm. Like, but this 10 years, in the last 10 years, like it pushed, it pushed me to places physically and psychologically I'd never been before, mm-hmm. you know, four and a half, five hours of sleep, if not less every night, you know, not being able to pay your bills. Like the first two years of this company were like, you know, I couldn't, I, I sold everything I owned. I didn't have anything left I could sell. You know, I had brand new kid, brand new wife at home you know, rental house that I was missing payments on, mm-hmm. you know, leveraged on my credit cards, the fucking hilt. Yeah. And that was easy, man, whatever, I'll get it done. Mm-hmm. I'll figure it out. And then, you know, then you grow, you know, we have 900 employees now. Um, and then you start, you know, we're publicly traded and you start looking at, you know, stock price and you start judging like whether or not I'm a good person or a bad person and you start dealing with, you know, the board of directors and and these are all like really crazy complex challenges that you'll encounter when you're looking at, you know, we have a hundred million dollars in inventory. Mm-hmm. Bro, I could I could ten years ago I was having a hard time paying my rent. Yeah. Now I have a that much in inventory. Yeah. But that's what you need because that's what the forecast calls for. Mm-hmm. You know, we're in tens of thousands of convenience stores and it's just the it's it's a math problem but man i'll tell you yeah you you can't have a you, you can't have a queasy gut looking at 100 million dollars of the inventory going hey man you know suck it up buttercup it's time to go and then when it's time to be profitable which is yeah. like the next you know we were high growth 
acceptable to lose a little bit of money because mm -hmm. low interest rates, high growth, high growth, high growth, the economy changes. Mm -hmm. And now it's like, all right, now change your business. Yeah. And all these things have to be done and you have to make them happen in a very finite amount of time. And this is why I keep talking to guys about like, you know, health, right? Mm -hmm. It's like mental health, fitness, when you're grinding yourself into moon dust at like four and a half, five hours of sleep at night, you're rewriting your playbook. Mm -hmm. You're trying to figure out the problem. Dude, you, you can't go out on Friday night and have a couple of beers. You just can't. Yeah, right. Because you know why? You're not cognitively functioning enough the next day to, to make good decisions. You can't. Yeah. So, and then grinding away. Cause I don't believe in that either where it's like you find something in your pat. What, what is that stupid saying? It's like a Pinterest saying. So find something you're passionate about. You never know work another day in your life. <laughs> yeah. It's so stupid. Yeah. It's like find something you're passionate enough mm -hmm. to grind away at yeah. for a decade. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. And find something you're passionate about that when things are fucking so difficult mm -hmm. that you don't feel like you can take another step that you'll be able to dig deep and grab onto that and pull it forward to take the next step. Yeah, That's what it means. It's not like, oh, I'm going to buy a camera and be a photographer and take mm -hmm. pictures of the Eiffel Tower. Like, okay, well, if that means you can sell everything and live off dog food yeah. to take pictures, that might be enough to get you through, dude. Maybe. Do you think that, to me, it seems like there's, there's different types of, say, CEOs. There's CEOs who have come up like through the best schools and education and doing playing the whole game, yeah. right? And then there's guys like you who've just been regular guys who somehow through fate have, and now you say, you know, you're unfiltered, you're this or that. It's like such a, you're not the typical CEO of a, again, I don't know, you got a hundred million dollars you're saying, but you're not, you haven't come up the standard route of these polished business guys. You know what I mean? So yeah. to me, it's like, you're a, you're a, a small town guy, military guy who now you have these new set of rules of you're a CEO of this publicly traded company that has to be, I mean, yeah, you're built for it. You are, but I understand that. I mean, is there ever times where you're like, I just want out of this shit. <laughs> I just, I, and I know you have people rely yeah, on you, so yeah. you probably don't want to admit that, but. Um, no, of course. Like, of course. Yeah. You know, like. Is it the fighter in you that's, that's kept this or, or. It's duty. Yeah. It's, it's duty. Your obligation to, 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 my, to the people. It's, 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 it's also to my peer group. Like yeah. I, I, I took the company public. I didn't make, I didn't make hard, uh, when I say it, it's like, I didn't make money doing that. Mm -hmm. You know, I pulled money to capitalize the company mm -hmm. so we could grow the to company. Grow. Mm -hmm. But more effectively, what I, I was just trying to make sure that from a duty and obligation perspective, that I could go out and inspire an entire generation of GWAT veterans to go start businesses. Yeah. That's it. And if I'm publicly available for people to just look at what I do and, you know, comb through, you know, my financial reports every quarter and look at, mm -hmm. you know, how I've either succeeded or I failed, at least that's the standard that people can know in, in 10 years, I took a company that was in my garage with no outside capital. And I went to the New York Stock Exchange at the time is a $1.7 billion value. 
in nine and a half years. Amazing. And I'm not the brightest bulb on the team, dude. I don't know. Like, you got <laughs> like, something special. Like, but my point in that is like, there are smarter, better, more driven men than me in my, in my generation mm -hmm. of GWAT vets. And if I can do it, mm -hmm. they can do it. And if I go and I hunt, you know, with, if I start shooting, like one of the reasons I started shooting archery was it was active for a meditation mm -hmm. and I needed something to break out of like my spreadsheets and the things that I was doing from a, you know, numbers perspective. So I got a trad bow, I stuffed a bunch of uh, burlap sacks together and I would shoot my trad bow in the back next to the coffee roaster. Mm -hmm. And I could just think about something else for 15 minutes, yeah. man, just hit a target. Yeah. Right. And going back to what I said earlier, it's like, just look at what I'm doing. Don't necessarily listen to what I say. Cause mm -hmm. like I said, I'm more driven. I, I, I really like, I, I like numbers and I like math. I'm, I'm, I wouldn't say that I'm necessarily a master of the English language. And I, I really like management and leadership problems. I think they're really interesting, but I wouldn't say that I'm like, awe-inspiring from that circumstance it's it's dude i i did this like i i lived paycheck to paycheck i missed my rent payments i sold all my shit mm -hmm. the difference is is i sucked it up and i got through it in the sense of like i pushed through the really fucking hard times mm -hmm. i didn't let self self-doubt creep in i took fear for a ride mm -hmm. because it's scary it scares the shit out of people man and that's why it's like, you got to have an iron gut and you have to not only have an iron gut, but you have to look back at it and go, okay, let's get it on. Yeah. Well, I can do it. That's, it's been an incredible journey. And I do think that your makeup has made it the success it is. Cause I think if you take somebody who may, maybe, you know, Princeton, Yale, whoever, they yeah. wouldn't have had the same fortitude you have to be able to push through all that for the last 10 years and go from... So, I mean, you have this skill set. I mean, you say you're, you know, not the most well-spoken or whatever, but whatever you have was a perfect storm. Um, what, what's been, you know, you've talked about different challenges. What's, do you wish you could do things over again? Anything, anything no. people could learn from? Have you just, sometimes you make good decisions, sometimes you don't, but whatever the case, you're going to figure it out. Is that how it's been? Yeah. I, I try to get perspective on these things, which is when when it's really like when you're really in the pressure, when you're really in the like the confines of stress and pressure. Like what? Like give like, me an example. Like um, taking the company public is a good example, and then post public. Um, when I from the outside in, that seemed like a big celebration. You're there ringing the fucking bell yeah. on the New York stuff. I mean, <laughs> how incredible is that? It's awesome. My daughter did it actually. My six year old. I yeah. She she pressed the button, which can't wait for her to get to college and have some socialist professor. She's like, I was there. I pushed the button. What? Jesus. You know. Uh, it was. It was. It was a big celebration. I think the economy flipped on its head mm -hmm. right after and. So you guys, everybody's buying stock, want to be involved. Everything was going great. What was it at? $30 a share or something? 
Yeah, and a lot of that was pressure on. There's just not what they call. There's not a lot of shares available, so it drove mm. up the pressure, you know. And then, so the pressure does that drive up price then? Yeah, because so it's just supply more, more demand, more buy. Yeah, yeah. supply and demand, mm -hmm. and and then the economy shifts, interest rates go up, growth stocks are no longer something that people are really spending a lot of time and money in. So then you have to you really have to concentrate and we're, you know, we're a young business. We have mm -hmm. to really concentrate on how we're spending capital, where are we spending capital, where are we growing, where are the profitability and the channels. We've got to we got to we've got to really hone our craft and start posting um, direct and deliverable results. And you know, for the previous 10 years in the market, you just had this meteoric arc of these businesses. And a lot of them, to be fair, they weren't selling anything, right? We have, we have, we have a lot mm -hmm. We have substantive things, you know, right. we've got a largest coffee subscription in America. We've got, you know, a ready to drink. That's a, a cross convenience stores. And I'm reluctant to keep going on because it's, it's, it'll sound like a commercial, but man, when you're, when you're staring at, you know, projected, you know, last year we did just over 300 million in, in gross annual. Well, dude, this is in my garage mm -hmm. nine years ago. Yeah, that's incredible. And you're, you're looking at the inventory required to do what you're going to do this year. And my gosh. Yeah. Like talk about a mountain you got to climb. So, you know, you ring the bell, market gets flipped on its head, and now everything costs more. Now everything's just gotten way more challenging with a lot more insight and oversight. Mm -hmm. So as a private company, there's a lot of things you don't have to do. You know? yeah. um, but I try to be grateful for the challenges in the sense of I get to be... <laughs> I get to be the guy, right? Like how lucky am I, man? I get mm -hmm. to be the guy that's like, just gets the 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 reward of just getting beat to shit by this stuff because now other people can look at it and go, okay, mm -hmm. like he, he did it, I can do it. And I'm not, the point of the entire exercise is to not like, it's, it's well beyond me. It's well beyond me at this point, which is to build, I, you know, my, my, my principles of this was to build an incredible business. And it was, it was a circle. It was uh, to, to go from a place of love, which is your, your family, mm -hmm. to go into a business where you're loved, admired, and respected, and then you go back. And it's basically a flywheel of positivity in your life mm -hmm. where you build your ecosystem around people that love you, that encourage you, that support you, that propel you. Mm -hmm. And it gets faster and faster and faster. That flywheel effect of positive inertia powers your entire life and allows you to fill up every day around people that will create a direct, lasting, lifetime positive impact. And ultimately what it was for and still is, is to prevent my friends from killing themselves. Mm -hmm. Like that's straight point blank. So it's that, that bigger than you mission is what 
helps you weather the storms Absolutely. that come with this not me. this business and going public and every word you say is being critiqued because it's yeah I'll deal with this so I can help these people is that your mm-hmm. attitude it's not it's not me man mm-hmm. like I don't take this stuff personal this is my this is my duty it's just like standing guard or sitting in a patrol base or going out on on patrol or doing anything else this is my duty like mm-hmm. I don't have a choice so it is what it is and I have not only the duty but I have the opportunity to be the guy fucking cool <laughs> that is everybody wants to be in your position they might not they want to be the CEO of something successful and to have a greater cause than themselves, just like you mm-hmm. do. Every, but everything you've had to overcome, you said yourself, you're not a quitter and you haven't quit. You've proven that and throughout life and then through the military and now through this. And it's, uh, to me, shit, it's inspiring. It's to hear you talk so honestly about, yeah, you might not say that the right things all the time you might not do the right things but this is why i'm doing it and i'm okay with it it's uh, uh that's standing for something and i and i i agree that's what we all should do you had to earn your position right now yeah and that's and that's what like i see it i see it in other people i see other people doing you know inspiring people you know, and we all catch a certain amount of shit, right? We all catch a little bit of hate. I'm going to see it. Like I see it on me and, you know, and I've, I've said this to lots of other people where I'm like, man, people putting positivity in the world is awesome. It's inspiring people to be better. And there's always going to be negative information, negative people. And what they're doing is they're putting toxic fuel out into the world. I'm not doing that. Mm-hmm. I don't broker in that bullshit. I'm only in the game of putting fucking positive fuel back in the world. I'm not going to put toxic fuel back in there. I'm not going to. There's too much of it. Mm-hmm. Guys like, you know, guys like you, guys like Joe, guys like, you know, Goggins, you know, Jocko and all these guys, you guys are putting positive fuel in the tanks of, of tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people every day. And man, we need an army of people like that. Mm-hmm. We need an army of people that are willing to go out be in the public eye and just accept it for what it is and just go, you know what? I'm putting positive fuel in the world and I don't really give a shit what other people are going to say. Like, I don't. Like, like I've heard it, you know, and, and um, I don't know. I think last year, probably the last year I turned the corner with it, you know, it's like, pff, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's my duty. It is yeah. what it is, man. Like, it's my duty and I'm just going to keep doing what I do. Like, and if, if people don't like it, I don't know, find another coffee to drink. I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, uh, no, I, I, I don't know. What a journey. I just can't even imagine. I mean, but it's been, it's been incredible to watch. And as I said, inspiring for me to see this, this growth and success. And yeah, I know there's been challenges. You know, I've seen, I've seen some of the stuff people have said and critiqued and, you know, anytime, especially once you go public, you know, (laughs) fuck everything. There's a magnifying glass under every decision and every word you say, everything that, that would be challenging. Who's been like a good resource for you. I I assume you haven't 
just navigated this all yourself. Has anybody helped you on oh, how yeah. to deal with it? Um, yeah, yeah, no. I mean, it's all new. Mm -hmm. um, I don't. I didn't really know anyone mm -hmm. from that had been in a public company before, um, and I think. You know, my partners, you know, Matt and Jared have been really good. Like, you know, they've, they've been exceptional partners. Mm. Like, you know, I talk to them every day for the most part. Um, you know, like Matt, Jared, you know, Logan, like we've we've all kind of formed a, a fire team for lack of a better term. And, um, and then I've got some people on the board that have been really good. Mm. Like they've been really, really instrumental. And then... Outside of that, uh, you know, I, I think stoicism, I think, you know, as far as like a, a meditation or a practice, I think that that's helped quite a bit. You know, I think listening to or reading different books and looking at different perspectives, whether it's, you know, shoe dog or one of these guys like Phil and bring him up because of, um, because of Eugene, but reading other entrepreneurial um, adventures, you know, their, their, their success stories, their failures. It also shows me like there's a lot of other people who have gone through the same stuff. Yeah. Like it's just, it, it's kind of like rinse, wash, repeat, you know? And now I'm getting better at it to the point where I can see the stuff beforehand and mm -hmm. go, oh yeah, I've seen, seen that, you know? Um, so I, I, I've relied on quite a bit on, on different people. And I think a lot of it's just finding perspective, which is my life's pretty, pretty awesome, man. Like, like we, we kind of like talked about the negatives, but I'm like, dude, I have 900 employees. You yeah. Know? Like, uh, you know, I go into the office and, there are people that have worked for me for, you know, nine, 10 years or people who have worked for me for two weeks. You know, I've got, you know, elk heads hanging around. I've got, you know, a gym and back. I, I make, I, I make what I feel is the best coffee in America every day. Like, you know, I get to, you know, work with all these different cool partners doing amazing things. I'm like, dude, how, could how be, incredible is this? Could be worse. Yeah. It's, it's freaking <laughs> awesome, man. Like, it's so cool. Yeah. So part of it is just, I get to do this. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. I, I, to your point, like there's a bunch of people that would love to have a CEO in their title and would love to have, you know, yeah. 33 coffee shops and like, you know, go and do all this stuff. So part of it is like paying respect to where I am and doing it going like, this is pretty epic. Yeah. It's only pretty epic. It's fucking epic. Like yeah. it's amazing. Yeah. No, I, I see that. And I, I agree. I mean, so you've been blessed so much, yeah. but I, I, I was just curious about the, the whole journey because you can just focus on one or the other. You can focus on the negative and be like, yeah. what the fuck? I got to deal with this, all, all this shit. <laughs> yeah. Or it can be on, you know, on the other hand, like how blessed you've been. But the truth is usually somewhere in the middle. Yeah. But it's like, I think your perspective and, and just having that, just the big picture is, you know, that's where a lot of people, me, anybody, you focus on this one little aspect of it instead of the big picture. But the big picture is you got 900 people that are supporting their families yeah. because they work for you. I mean, that's an impact. Dude, we, 
we gave back three and a half million dollars last year. Three and a half million dollars. To who? To non nonprofit, veteran nonprofits. Okay. Three and a half million dollars. Like, you know, Patagonia always says like one percent of sales, mm-hmm. right? Or one percent of profit. Well, mm. just so everybody knows, you you can pretty much make whatever profit you, you want to look books. like. You can say, we made $10, 1% goes back. Dude, we did more, we yeah. pushed back more because we did more than 1% on top line, gross revenue. Mm. Patagonia goes to war every day and they're, you know, with their information saying 1% goes back to com- conservation. Dude, I did more than that. Top line, yeah, back to, to veteran nonprofits. We've single-handedly been able to fund specific initiatives and... You know, it's it's amazing, man. Like I've I've been able to pay for you know an entire continuing education program for elementary private elementary school kids for uh, the the children of guys that have been lost in combat. Mm. Like I've been able to pay for you know college and research around burn pits and things like this. Like, dude, this is crazy. Mm -hmm. Like. Three and a half million. Yeah. I'm going to give we more back next year. It's making an impact, dude. It's awesome. Like yeah. it, you know, and not to mention, you know, all the other really cool shit that just happens all the time. You know, like I get went went hunting with Rogan for yeah. a week. Like what? Like are you <laughs> kidding me? Like this is crazy, man. Like yeah, he loves that hunt with you down there at Tahoe, <laughs> dude. It's awesome. Yeah, it's like I went hunting with Steve Ranella for yeah. a week in Alaska. Like when was that? Uh, two years ago. What'd you guys hunt? Blacktail. Oh, really? Dude. On Prince of Wales or? Yeah. 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 Such a cool hunt. It was, it was horrible. Yeah. It was like. What, the weather? The, Steve is, you know, he's, have you hunted with him? I haven't. <laughs> he has like a knack for just going in the worst paths ever and just <laughs> likes to keep grinding. And wants to be miserable. Dude, he just wants to be miserable, I think. And, um. We're out there for a week and it's just raining and sleeting and snowing and we didn't see shit. Really? We didn't see anything Joe until the last day. Joe went with him on that hunt too and he didn't kill anything. <laughs> so I, I don't know if that's I, his, he enjoys. Or? I, I think he takes people out there just to like grind them up. <laughs> Test just, them. Yeah, like we were, we did this portage with this canoe and, um, you know, we're, we're cruising through and it's, it's, you know, it's a, it's like a jungle. You know, it's basically like a jungle. Yeah, We're like it's doing this country, three mile portage through nasty jungle with a canoe and you know backpacks and all this other crazy shit, and um, it just to go up and put it in the lake and row it across the lake and then do you know do do you know quite a bit of calling and cruise around and then come back and do it and then we were like well let's take it down the rapids <laughs> <laughs> like this dude's crazy a little bit and then uh and then we went from there and then went out to you know pull in some shrimping pots and he's got this tiny little boat and we're out in the fucking ocean yeah. and i'm just like steve's a he's got like a half screw loose like he's a <laughs> because he's so polite and like very professional and he's calm yeah. but man he he can get it done. Like he's, yeah. he's a super legit guy, but you know, growing up or not growing up and, you know, watching meat eater and, you know, watching Steve and you and all these guys on Joe's podcast and following mm-hmm. you guys for years. Um, 
it's just cool, man. It's like you, you get to meet people you like look up to and you respect and you, you're like, that guy's fucking doing it. Like, you know, watching your videos with how close you're getting to bulls mm-hmm. and like how of a surreal interaction that you have with these wild animals, like, dude. Yeah. You know, packing shit out and running, you know, fucking a hundred miles or whatever you're doing. Like, dude, this is epic. Like what you're doing is epic. You're doing you're doing things that are inspiring guys like me all the time. Hmm. And so we're looking at you going, man, Cam Haynes is a hard motherfucker. Hmm. Like, I can do that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna try harder. I'm gonna work harder. Well, you've been you've been kicking ass, killing bulls with your bow. I know that. <laughs> been on a pretty good run. I mean, this year you got a great bull. Yeah. Yeah, he's cool. He's a cool bull. Yeah, yeah. It, so what'd you and Steve, you said you killed on the last day? Last day, and I killed a, a you know, black tail. Like, we we did, I don't know, we, we put in like 80 miles around there, dude. Just 80 <laughs> miles, just like tromping through the... We, cl- we did like a full, like semi multi-pitch climb and like muck boots did they have ropes <laughs> no. going up there because i know there's some places like they do have ropes yeah i know we were just doing a climb i fell yeah. like 10 feet <laughs> under my backpack like, i thought i broke my back and, and i just landed in like this nice soft area yeah. i fell like 10 feet off this thing like we we're climbing yeah, in muck boots sounds like it and uh last day we killed this thing like 800 yards from where we were staying, you know, in Steve's cabin. <laughs> and we were like walking all around. It was yeah. just by chance we were walking this power line uh, road, just hoping, like keeping our fingers crossed, like, gosh, I hope we get something. I hope we see something. Dude, we had been working so hard and we ran into, you know, a couple does and, but nothing, nothing, nothing. And the only, the only one we saw, and it was like, maybe maybe 600 yards from the fishing cabin yeah <laughs> and it was like on our way back in so lucky got him killed yeah what yeah. what's been your best hunting adventure uh that brown bear hunt with coals probably i mean you know two weeks and Cole's super fun. Yeah. yeah so he, he's such a good dude. Cole Kramer who we just had on the podcast he's a longtime guide so was that on Kodiak no, it was peninsula. in the peninsula. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was a uh, um, chicknick mm-hmm. right outside of there, and it was you know because I you, you go out into the you know field and your you know your uh, commercial flight, then a, a little bit bigger plane down to you know gravel, and then super cub a smaller out, plane and then yeah. you, you keep getting down down yeah, down yeah. down right to your your system of 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 entry and it's just beautiful mm-hmm. two weeks you were there yeah that's a long yeah. hunt it's awesome yeah how many guys were hunting it was me matt and logan mm. so we had three bear tags mm-hmm. and cole had it was him and his assistant guide and then trevor thompson who's a former seal that yeah uh, as a former guide, or <clears throat> works as a guide with, with Cole, too. So we're all up there. And so Cole's got two weeks and three tags to get it done. Yeah. <sighs> I don't know how he did it, man. He did it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how he did it. <laughs> a lot of work, crazy. huh? Yeah. Yeah, even those hides are heavy. Did you, did yeah. you, did you pack, you guys have to pack the hides out? Yeah, we, um, 
we, well, I think it was on day 10, we'd seen a bunch of bears, but nothing with any, any size, you know, some sows and Mm -hmm. nothing with any size. And we, uh, we were, we were getting ready to come off the mountain one night and we saw one that was like four and a half Ks away. And it was big because, you know, one, the rangefinder wasn't really working that far out, but he looked big. Yeah. And he's in kind of a green field out between two mountains. Mm. And I spotted him. Uh, you know, Cole confirmed it's a big bear. We'll get up in the morning. If he's still here, we'll, we'll hit the road. We'll, mm-hmm. we'll figure out how to get out there. And um, so got up in the morning, still there. So we've got, you know, four and a half Ks to move on big boy yeah through that it's tough walking it's good yeah (laughs) (laughs) and we're moving right it's you know because we're trying to get up on them as fast as we can we just don't have we don't have the time Hmm. um so we're moving as fast as we can and so you're at vo2 max like the entire time redline yeah yeah you're redlining you're stripping clothes off you're you're sweating your ass off sweating your ass off yeah and then you get down, you know, into the, in below, now you can't see them. Mm-hmm. So you're trying to get as close as you can. Finally, we get up on this little knob and, and Cole starts calling. And he like comes. Like a predator call? Yeah, he's, he's doing like uh, uh, cow, like, you know, cow moose and, okay. and uh, calf. Like, yeah, calf calls yeah. and stuff. So yeah. he starts calling and bringing them in and. He's big. He comes in and is like, that's he the came first the call? he did. Nice. Yeah. And uh, and there you can have backup shooters. So I, I sat up and I was like, hey, as soon as I shoot, like, mm-hmm. you guys got to shoot right on top. Because I was like, we, we got to get this thing down. Yeah. And I, want it, I don't want any. No funny business. No funny business. <laughs> Let's get this thing down. Yeah. And so we set up on him. So we... You know, I killed that first bear. Well, then we turned around, mm-hmm. and there's another bear right behind us. Mm. Cole's like, "Turn around! There's another bear right behind you." Oh man! And he, you know, made a small cow call, and that was Matt's bear. Yeah. So he's like, "Matt, go!" Yeah. So Matt turned around and shot him. So we had two bears on the ground. We'd been out there for ten days, and then we had two bears on the ground in like thirty <laughs> seconds. And, and quite a ways from camp. <laughs> yeah, 5Ks <laughs> or whatever, right? Yeah. We ended up, uh, you know, getting getting the hides and then packing them out. But we got to a spot about a K away where we could bring in the cub and load mm-hmm. all that stuff up in the cub. So we That's only good. had, you know, we ended up getting back probably midnight-ish, mm-hmm. you know, like, but we had a couple of stream crossings and, you know, a lot of walking basically to get yeah. back. And Logan killed a wolf, um, which is like he's a sniper. And it's funny because he shot him in the face and we just kept making fun of him. (laughs) (laughs) The old habits don't, they die hard, huh? Like, geez, man, like, (laughs) take it easy. (laughs) Yeah, target eliminated. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then Matt and I I left uh, two days after, two days after that, I think. Logan stayed for another two or three. I think he might have been there for another three days past where we were at. Um, I was getting I was getting long on my days. I was like, hey, yeah, I I gotta get back. Yeah, and it's a long hunt, dude. It's a long hunt. 
so much fun. And it's a couple of days to get out of there. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it takes yeah. a while to get <laughs> there and to get back. Yeah, because by the time you get into Anchorage and then spend the night in Anchorage yeah. and then get back, you know, Salt Lake, and then it's going to take me a few days to like decompress yeah. before I'm like, I'm not going to just step back into the office you right. know, day, day two. So uh, it's a long hunt. I, I want to do this next fall. My, my goal is, is to take all of, all of September. Mm-hmm. I just take all of September. It's like hunt what? alcohol all september yeah there you yeah, go now we're gone. talking <laughs> yeah just yeah. be gone dude i'm yeah. building this expedition vehicle right now this is like a flatbed custom flatbed f-350 yeah. with a plug-in uh camper gosh what's it called like a four i think it's called four-wheeler camper mm. but it's like it's all basically custom and built out so i can just go from like start in one state and just go from state to state to state Beautiful. and never unpack. <laughs> <laughs> to me that like when I was growing up, there was this guy here in town, his name is Jim Carter. He's an electrician, but anyway, he hunted all of September. Right. And he always right. killed for Oregon, always killed a nice six point bull. And I was just like, how the fuck does this guy do this every year? So I was like, my whole dream, my whole life was, I want to be able to hunt all of September just yeah. to your point right there. And and then it's just like, then you keep working, getting opportunities, things work out. And so, yeah, now that's what I do. Four states. <laughs> Last year was five states. Five but, states. But this year, four states. And it's just like, it's just what I've always dreamed of. Elk hunting all September. It's <laughs> yeah. like, could, could life get any better? I well, you just, you just retired. You, yeah. had a, you had a job this entire time, dude. Yeah, yeah. I retired a year ago. Like, so this is your first year that you've, you've had no shit a real September, you could take off, yeah, right? Yeah, and normally it would be kind of like your situation where, yeah, if I killed early, I'd have to get back to work because, right. you know, I'm running the cruise. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, I'm involved with purchasing, and so everything, there's always issues that come up, so I'd right. have to, as soon as I got done, I'd have to go back. But this year, yeah, I mean, I mean, it was, I didn't, I had my podcast done before, so... There's still always, you always put pressure on yourself. Right. It's like people like us probably always have a certain, feel a certain amount of pressure just because there are other goals or whatever. But yeah, it was really nice. It, I didn't have to hustle to go, get anywhere just to the next hunt. Did you go, did you come back to, to your house before each hunt or did you like stay on the road? Were you uh, gone and then gone? Um, let me think. So I think I came back between each hunt. So I, I killed and, did I, Tanner? Or did we go from one to the other ever? Uh, Arizona to Oregon. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, so in Oregon, I I had to ended up going, I did try Oregon twice. Couldn't get it done the first time. I had to go to Arizona because that's when my right. hunt started. And then had like three days after Arizona to get it done here in Oregon because right. I, I didn't the first time and then killed a bull last day of September here. Okay. So, last yeah. day. Last day of September. <laughs> yeah. It was, yeah, the Oregon was a, it was, de- Oregon is always my hardest one because these, you know, you've hunted in Utah. It's a great place. Lots of bulls. You're probably going to get an opportunity. Um, Arizona is incredible. Colorado where I, where I hunt is good. Oregon, it's just freaking hard Roosevelt out country. It's always right. the hardest one of the year. So anytime I can get a bull killed in Oregon, and it's usually my first one, I'm like, all right, the next, all the next ones are going to be easy compared Got to it. this. So 
this one, it was my last bowl. It was just kind of kicked my ass. But. What's the difference between, is there any difference between the behavior of the Roosevelt and the Rocky Mountain? Uh, they're, and the Thule? Yeah, the, I have a hunted Thule. Right. I haven't done those. But the Roosevelt, they're generally, they don't bugle quite as much or, mm. or you don't hear them as much. And I don't know if it's because of the, the terrain, because the timber right. and the hills and absorbed sound. Unlike you get over into Eastern Oregon or, or in the desert where we hunt where the air is crisp, clear, Mountains, you know, sound carries in the mountains. Yeah. They don't, it doesn't carry here on the coast like it does there. So I, I think they bugle less, but also think you you hear it less, you know, mm. just because of the, of the country. Right. But they, you know, we've had them fired up, bulls coming in, but it's pretty rare that a Roosevelt comes charging in just bugling like you see some other places. Huh, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. They're are they bigger, are they, are they smaller body or bigger body? Bigger body. Bigger body. Bigger body. So like a big bull, like say in Utah, Colorado would be like eight to 900 pounds yeah. would be a giant bull. Yeah. You know, that bull that we were looking at there, um, that bull weighed 1200 pounds. It Seriously? Giant, giant, biggest body dog I've ever seen. What do they eat? Like fish? No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah. What are they eating? Like brown bear. A uh, bunch of leaves, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. They like blackberries. So, I mean, they, they, oh, hit, yeah. they, they okay. hit the berries hard when so the berries are on. They're glycogens through the roof. They're I like guess packing on the weight. I have no idea because, you know, normally a human, if you want to put on muscle, you got to eat some protein. Yeah. They're not eating protein. Oh, actually, you know what? This year, acorns. Oh yeah, okay. So there was right, a right. shitload of acorns yeah. that the elk were just all over. So that that'd be a good way to put on weight if they're eating a bunch of nuts. Yeah, you know what I mean. But those those bulls, they're the biggest body. Roosevelt, there's a lot of thousand pound Roosevelt bulls, but that one was twelve hundred. He was huge. Can you can you taste a difference between? the you know your colorado and your roosevelt like can you taste the difference or is it here's how it goes of all the bulls or the bulls i've killed arizona for whatever reason is the best eating huh i mean i can tell if my wife makes you know cooks up a steak or something i can tell is this arizona because it just tastes that good right second is oregon oregon is so good but yeah i can i can tell and then utah and colorado are right below those but still good meat, but something about that, the Arizona bulls, and I don't know why, and then Oregon is right there. Yeah, because especially if it's a, they're eating a bunch of blackberries, like, yeah. man, okay. Yeah. yeah, and I always like, I like to kill bear too that, that are yeah. eating berries. Obviously, those are good. I killed uh, a bear in Colorado that was on acorns, and that, that meat's good also, really? but not quite as good as if they're just eating berries. Obviously that's sweet. Yeah. That, that, yeah. Gives a little bit, little different flavor. I mean, bear, bear meat's not obviously elk meat, but, right. um, I still like it. Do you, do you do a bear hunt every year? Mm -hmm. Like every year, hundred percent. Yeah. I always kill either, you know, I've killed brown bear or grizzly or black bear in Alberta yeah. with the, with the rivets. I go up yeah. there. Usually that's nice. That that's usually like my first hunt. If we don't do lanai, Joe and I have done yeah. lanai a number of times. Um, but I I like a bear hunt just to get okay. 
let's get in the killing mode. We right. haven't killed all winter. Let's make sure we remember how to do this. And so the bear is a good one. You go up there, kind of focus on a big male. That's always a good hunt. But yeah, and then I usually always kill one in Colorado too, because there's so many bear there. Right. Where where at? Is it southern, northern? Uh, Trinidad. Oh, yeah. Do you know where okay. that is? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's down not too far from New Mexico. Yeah. Yeah, so it. Um, I'm not sure where... I'm not sure how far from where you're hunting, but a couple hours is it? Yeah, okay. it's not not too far actually. It might even be less than that. Because that the same place you're hunting, they have a, a spot by where I hunt. Yeah, uh, they they what are they calling it? Um, wedding cake or something like that is what they because the same owner owns all of yeah. that stuff. He's right. a, he's an interesting cat. Um, what? How many brown bears have you killed? Three brown bear three brown bears mm -hmm. like when we're at kodiak no, no um in the alaska range okay so where roy roy used to hunt so we did snow machines for one i killed one up high coming out of the den mm -hmm. um so they'll come out they usually they'll den up like on kind of steep mountains up there mm -hmm. and they come out in the spring and then kill them up there and they'll come down and try to kill a moose or something so the bear i killed my first brown bear I think it was 20, 2012, um, had just killed a moose, got on his tracks and killed him. And then I killed two in 2015. That's one of them right there, that skull. Oh, yeah. And that was down kind of where the peninsula takes off. There's a bay right there off. Right. And it's that unit 16. You, a non-resident can kill two brown bear and three black bear so many bear there and i killed two brown bear one spawn, seriously one spawn stock one bait have you do you ever use rifle anymore mm -mm. no mm -mm. all archery yep you used to use rifle every now and again right for or have you always like been once, pure? I, once I switched i started with the rifle when yeah. i was 15 that was my first kill right and then once i in 1989 i switched to bow and it's just been bow ever since mm. yeah What's been your best hunt? Like you, you've done a million of them. Like, what are the ones that stick out that are like that was epic? Um, I mean, I like dangerous game. Uh, I just like the intensity of it, mm -hmm. you know. So the big bear or the Cape buffalo in Tanzania, or uh, I was hunting lion in Tanzania. I didn't end up killing one, but I was, you know, on the ground with had one at fifty yards, uh, a big male by itself. Wow. That was pretty exciting. I just could never get a, a good shot on it. Um, I like that. And then aside from the dangerous stuff is always hunting with Roy would be, you know, we'd always have big adventures up there. So it was cool. Our last hunt, our last year hunting, you know, he fell in 2015, but we killed these two brown bear and I killed a black bear on that hunt too. So I killed three bear in five days. Wow. And then we killed that moose there. That was our last hunt together, that, that moose back there. And, oh, right here? Yep. Yeah. And that, uh, so that was, he fell a couple, like two weeks after I killed that. So that obviously is a special one. Right. Yeah. But, and then elk, I mean, other than dangerous, it's like you can't beat, obviously, you know, I like elk <laughs> just from looking around here. It's delicious. Here. It's super fun. It's, well, to me, this, a small town guy, just like, just like you, it's like, Deer were, yeah, everybody kind of got their buck. You know, did you get your buck yeah. this year? But, but to get a six-point bull. That's, that was it. 
Like everybody talked about that guy. Like everybody yeah. in the town talked about that guy. And that was like, if you would have a bell buckle yeah, and it would yeah. have a six point bull silhouette on yeah. it. And it's just like, or some guys had uh antler horn belt buckle. Oh yeah. You know, like the base I, of it. I had one. Did you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My uncle made it for me. But to kill a, a big bull, a six point bull. Yeah. Shit, dude. Hardly anybody ever did. It's like, you never even hardly saw elk. No. So it was, if you could get a big bull, that meant something. And, uh, you know, I killed, a, I have a, the spike here somewhere. I killed my first bull was a spike. And then finally, you know, by the time I killed a six point, a big six point, well, for me was that one right there. That was in the Eagle Cap wilderness. And that was my eighth year of bow hunting, my first six by six. Oh, and, seriously? Yeah. Yeah. I killed bulls every year. Right. That, that was the first, I killed a six by five Roosevelt, but then that was my first six by six. Wow. And that that was like, oh shit, okay, finally did it. Seemed, that seemed impossible. That that must have been like crossing the finish line on a huge race or something. Like you must have been over the moon. Yeah, I mean, it was, yeah, by myself back there, uh, 43 yards, hit him. I was sneaking down, had, had spotted him. Went into this thing, he bedded down, I thought, because he didn't come out, he had a herd, snuck down there, and I was like pretty close. I knew I, I was looking, 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 and I heard an elk get up. I heard it's like rocks move and like hooves. And I looked and I could look under this thing, I could range, and it, it was him at 43. And I hit hit a little back, but I got his liver. And then he went uh, not far and bedded. Then I heard his antlers hitting the rocks. And I'm like, oh my God, I just killed. A big bull and i went over there and he was he was dead and that was never forget it never forget it it's amazing yeah that that's like eight years eight years eight, of bow hunting eight years of bow hunting and i could only hunt i didn't have any money then so right. i just hunt, only hunt oregon yeah so it was like if i didn't kill a bull in oregon i wasn't killing a bull right and when you're so obsessed with something to not get a bull was like i couldn't you know i was so obsessed it just I, I had to kill a bull and I did, but it was just like not so obsessed, probably unhealthy. So, but that was, I, all my chips were in Oregon and Oregon's not a great hunting state. Right. But uh, yeah. Why isn't it, why is it, why isn't it not a good um, hunting state? I think, well, I don't know. I don't know if habitat doesn't allow bulls to get giant, but Oregon just in general has been a state managed for opportunity. Like uh, if you want to hunt elk, you can, you could always buy an elk tag over the counter. Uh, Some States, they limit those opportunities and let the bulls get older. Right. When they get older, they get bigger. So on one hand, I was thankful that Oregon managed this opportunity. So if you wanted to elk hunt, you could yeah. always elk hunt, but you're probably not going to kill an old bull because right. everybody, a lot of people were killing, you know, young bulls before they had a chance to mature. Whereas like Arizona, Maybe they only draw a tag every twenty years. The bulls will be older. Gotcha. So right. it's, it's it's on one hand, I'm thankful to be here because I got a lot of elk hunting experience. I didn't kill anything giant. That yeah. was that was a giant for me. But uh, it's, um, that's a awesome bull. Yeah, like it's, it's a good, good bull. Good wilderness bull. I was yeah. yeah I thought it was huge. Um, but yeah. how far back in were you? Like twelve like, miles. <laughs> twelve miles. Yeah. It was, it's a so long you're by yourself, back. get this bull in the ground. Yeah. And now you're like, ah, yeah. Okay. I, well, luckily I had, I had 
three other guys that were about 10 miles away around this big base and they were hunting this other ridge. And we kind of all came in together. We had llamas that packed all our stuff. Oh, cool. I had, I had, uh, went in, me and Roy bought llamas together. Then my buddy Tim had them up at his place. So llamas would help carry the stuff in. So they had a big base camp over there. Then uh-huh. I said, all right, I'll see you guys in a week. Right. And I went to this other, other drainage that I like to hunt. It's just so hard to get to no horse trails or anything like that but that's where i like to go because i always thought that okay it's 12 miles back but then also this is even harder to get to this right back. right and um so i killed that bull got him hung up taken care of um and uh hiked all the way back and i found the guys and i said hey could you guys you know the llamas they get tired so they can't if you put a bunch of weight on them and go 12 miles the next day you know, they're only 300 pound animals. So they, they're tired. They'll yeah. lay down. They won't pack. <laughs> They'll just lay down. They'll just lay down. And it's like you would, it wouldn't matter what you did. They're done. Right. And, uh, so I said, could you guys, could we all pack this bowl out? I'll get us a hotel room. We'll buy pizza and then pack back in. So oh yeah, yeah, no problem. So they come over there and it's fucking, it was an ass kicker to get this 12 miles. And then I, I, I had, the big the pack trail went 12 miles but i thought well look at the map you know topo maps there's right. no there was no onyx you're using like, like one over twenty four thousand, like usgs topo maps yeah. or something yeah yeah, yeah. exactly okay. and so i would i said if we go here and we just drop straight off the river's right there that's only it's only two miles if once we get to this edge so it's probably like six miles total but I said, it's only two miles from the edge to the bottom. Let's just go there. And obviously there's a reason why the trail doesn't go there, right? It was so freaking steep and nasty. And we went down there and it was like, you know, the biggest mistake ever. But we ended up getting this bull out then came back in. And the buddy who I was with, who I, he still works over where I had just retired. He's the director now. But uh, he was so... I don't know. I don't know if he was beat up or just like couldn't imagine if we killed another one and had to do that. <laughs> we got all the way back in there and he's like, he goes, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm ready to go. <laughs> so I said, you don't want to hunt? He's just like, nah, I'm good. I'm good. So the other guys stayed and hunted, but I think they were so beat up. They didn't kill anything, but just that one pack out just ruined, pretty much ruined all of us. It was freaking hard. It was hard. So anyway, that was the story on that bull. Wait, what kind of weight does a llama? How how can, how much can you can you load up on that? We'd thing? put you know sixty pounds would be pretty heavy. Okay. But if you, we had four, so that's two hundred forty pounds yeah. a year. Okay, that's not on your back. Yeah. So that helps. Yeah. And the first bull I killed back there in '94, I killed a spike, and we packed it out with the llamas. Me and Roy did. Right. So that that one worked. Um, so they're good. I mean, they're and they won't. You know, a horse can step on your foot kick you in the head right do all this stuff a llama can't really hurt you so they're they're good they're just not quite as hardy as you know a horse you put on 150 pounds and they're fine so a llama has its limitations but it allowed us to get camp back there for 10 days right yeah well do you still use pack animals at all do you still you don't Um, have the llamas anymore i don't no 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 no. um you know just depends on the hunt i mean i've had hunts where We'll pack in with horses right. or if you kill something, then you have horses available. I've, right. Even where I hunt in Colorado, there's 
places where we've used horses to pack out the bulls that I've killed. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, I've really, I've tried to think about the pack goats and llamas and things like that. Cause I, I really enjoy thinking about long range listed logistic support for like a high adventure stuff. So yeah. I have another company, which is Idaho River Adventures with a partner of mine. We do Middle Fork of the Salmon, which is in the Frank Church Wilderness, yeah. which is the most remote wilderness right. area in the lower 48. And I I, I want to take this like epic trip through there because it's 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 like iconic piece of America. Yeah. Like, and, but I want to be able to like pack in, pack out with like goats or llamas or something. I, I'm not a huge horse fan. Like I... I I, I like horses, like in general, like to pet them and feed them carrots and stuff. Once yeah. I get on their back, I'm like, Man, I don't know, this <laughs> machine's going to do whatever it wants to do at the end of the yeah. day. Like I get a little bit like, well, I'd rather just walk, you know? And, and they can feel that too. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, they can feel if they're in control or you're in control. And some horses take advantage of it. So it's like you have any trepidation and you're on a horse, they know. That's why, that's why if some people, if they don't have control of their horse, it's just like... <laughs> That horse isn't going to do anything for you. Oh, I so. always feel like I need to have a gun out, like pointed at their head. Like this is like a hostage situation, you yeah. know, like, Hey man, you're going to do what I ask you to do. Yeah. But I don't feel oh, like this that's is gonna ethical get messy. enough. Yeah. You know, I'm like, I'll just walk. I'm good. Horses, <laughs> you know, the Frank Church, Frank Church is legendary country also, but so is the thoroughfare in Wyoming. No. Oh, okay. I've never heard of it. Thoroughfare. That's the largest. It, I don't know about who's the remote, but it's right. It's, they say, I think I've read that it's the largest, maybe Frank Church is most remote. I don't know. Yeah. But anyway, they're both huge pieces huge. of country, right? So I killed a bull in the thoroughfare and it was a 28 mile horseback ride in. Oh. 28 miles. That, wow. my ass was disintegrated. But, um, 28, 28 miles. miles. Yeah. Horse pack yep. in before you start hunting. Then you start hunting. Okay. And then, uh, there's wolves and grizzlies and everything in there. Uh, so the bulls were really quiet. I mean, they don't, they, they got used to, if they bugle, the wolves will, will come. Yeah, yeah. Right. So they were quiet, but I killed a big six by six. It was, I think they'd been hunting that camp had been hunting for five years. And they never had a bow kill. So killed this, had to make this long shot on this big bull. And also where they hunt there is like on the line of the Yellowstone park. Right. And it, if, a if you hit a bull and it goes over the line into the park, you can't go get it. So it was like, I was about, I would say three quarters of a mile above the park line. But it's like that was weighing on me because right. you make a poor shot yeah. on a bull, it can easily go. Yeah. And, and then, you know, it's wasted because you can't go get it. But um, luckily made a good shot. But anyway, uh, the bull only went 40 yards and piled up and it was a big wilderness, six by six. But that was 10 miles from the camp that we were at. And that was 28 miles in. So it was, it was super remote. But I got to check that out. Yeah, thoroughfare. The thoroughfare. Wait, so, okay. I'm just trying to put it into perspective to where Yellowstone is and then we, how. We went through Cody, then off the South Fork, uh, off the South, you cross the South yeah. Fork to get up in there. Okay. Yeah. Have you done, have you done uh, Bob Marshall? Have you? I haven't. Oh. No, that's, I haven't another, that's another historic one and yeah. famous. I love those big, wild, 
I mean, it's my favorite. Yeah, that's what the, the Eagle Cap is. It's Oregon's largest. It's three hundred and fifty-six thousand acres, so yeah. it's thirty miles by sixty miles. Mm -hmm. And to me, that was such a big allure to get. I want to get. Me and Roy looked at the map, and we we're like, "Okay, where's the furthest from anywhere?" <laughs> yeah. It's like right there. Yeah, and that's where we just wanted to get as far away from anybody as we yeah. could. So for Oregon, that was it. But when you talk Frank Church or Thoroughfare or maybe Bob Marshall, wild, wild country, which who knows what's going to happen. That's what's so great about it. And nobody sees it, man. Like um, I, I did the same thing when I was in I like in Idaho a lot. I'd pull up the maps and then look at, you know, there's lots of different areas. Like I grew up in the Clearwater National Forest, which is on the north side of the Clearwater River. But then you have... Uh, the Frank Church, which is just south, and you've got Locksaw and the Clearwater. You've got all these like really iconically cool places, and I'd always try to figure out like, okay, where's the where's the where's the most remote place? Right. And I I did this trip one year. I did a hundred mile trip where I was just fly fishing through uh, uh, from Atlanta to Stanley, Idaho. Mm. But it's like a hundred mile lake to lake to lake, you know, and just fly yeah. fish my way through. And I had such a great time. Like it was like nobody out there, nobody's on the trail. Like once you're back there, nobody is out there. Right. Like all the looky loo vacationer, like gorp crowd, they're not out there. No. By the way, you use a trail, you don't use a trail, you just kinda like look at your map and figure yeah. it out. Like it's interesting that people it's actually a, a positive here, which is once you get five miles in. It's not a lot of people back there. No. <laughs> it's no. awesome. And that's what people people talk about being overcrowded and they're running into hunters all the time. I still know where I killed that bull. I know a guide who guides back in there because they have sheep hunts back in there. Right. And he says, send me pictures of giant bulls. And he's like, could you come back here and kill? There's nobody back. I said, nobody's Seriously? back there. He's like, yeah, nobody's at the trailhead. You know, a 350 bull running around. No. But, but you talk about, everybody talks about, oh, there's, it's overcrowded. Yeah, there's yeah. too many bow hunters. And, you know, these guys ruined it. These, these guys ruined it. Now they're hunting, you know, the best places that I'm to deal with it. It's like, I don't know. There's still some pretty good hunting way back that people don't want to work for. They don't want to work for it. Mm -hmm. And, now I've seen more impact in Idaho from wolves than I ever than yeah. we ever did from from archery or increased hunters. Like mm. I mean, they decimated the elk population in Idaho. Like they, some estimates, I think they cut it down by seventy percent. Yeah. Um, so like, sure, you could say that it's an increased population of hunters, but ultimately, some of these states have continued to increase their wolf population, and they've eliminated huge percentages of their population of of elk and oh by the way they're also not getting yeah the resource <laughs> yeah <laughs> and colorado's doing that now too oh, dude now, california is doing it wolves yeah we oh, saw them God. they're in uh just outside of uh burbank there's a conservation area just next to tejon and there's mm. one of the guys has a video of a black wolf out in the middle of of nowhere and we're like guys i i don't think that's a good idea yeah. <laughs> like i just don't think it's a good idea i know because the, the hunting money from tags and licenses pays for most conservation and habitat restoration and like they need the the hunter's money 
Yeah. And now you're letting wolves do the killing. So you're going to cut back the, the resource from the hunters. It's like, what kind of plan is that? I don't think they have a plan. I, I just, I think they have a very emotional, you know, they, they've got a very emotional and, and I would say somewhat illogical perspective when it comes to, you know, reintroduction of non-native predators, because mm -hmm. that's really what it is. Uh, you know, even the, the the wolves that we reintroduced in Idaho, they're non-native to Idaho. They're mm -hmm. a different type of wolf. Right. So I, they're not, I, I don't think they're, they're thinking about the long-term effects. I think what they're thinking about is like, these are beautiful house dogs and, yeah. you know, they're just like, you know, biscuit in my backyard, but they're just more beautiful and mystique, you know, the, yeah. the mystery of them. And I think there's also a, a, a slight bent in anti-gun to this. I think reintroduction to uh, predators, the increased population of cougars, the increased population of wolves, I think there's a certain section that are saying, well, if there's no more game, yeah, and if the predators are doing most of the hunting, then mm -hmm. why do you guys need guns? Guns. Yeah. I think there's there's a section of that too. I think that's a, that is... Um, yeah, a goal of some people. Yeah. It's just to eliminate the honey, the need for hunters. So yeah, I mean, if if we don't, you know, come together on this and <laughs> and you know, hunters love bickering back and forth and you know, there's egos involved and so a lot of jealousy and things like that makes it a challenge to work together sometimes, but and we better we better figure it out. That's a, that's an interesting point because I see it in the hunting community, I see it in the the gun community. I see it in a lot of these things where I'm like, guys, we, we got bigger fish to fry than figuring yeah. out this thing over here. Like, I mean, you feel it, I feel it. I think everybody feels it. Like the anti-hunting community is 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 growing, and they're becoming even more vocal. I mean, they they want to shut down, you know, our our hunting and archery programs and education mm -hmm. and schools they, they want to shut they want to shut us down mm -hmm. and if we don't kind of to your point get our shit together yeah <laughs> like, and and i get it i mean the people you know you the groups you mentioned those people that do that are usually confident people capable mm -hmm. people and usually people like that do have egos you know and so i and it's a competitive Men are competitive, especially men who want to hunt, right. shoot. Yeah. And so I, I get it. I mean, it's, it, life is competition. I understand yeah. all that, but man, it's a, it's a critical time right now. It's a critical time. I, I, you know, I took, um, yeah, I took my wife out for the first, first time in the last couple of years, all hunting. And even beforehand, uh, some of, I would say, her friends, some of our friends are like, we just can't, I wouldn't say they can't, but why, why, why do you want to do that to these beautiful animals? Mm -hmm. You know, isn't are you hurting them or something? You're like, let me show you a picture of a antler stuck through the eye of mm -hmm. one of these bull elk that have been yeah. fighting yeah, or like the pieces of, you know, antler that have been broken off or, you know, name the actual like fight in, from the, mm -hmm. you know, bull, bull, uh, rut perspective. Like this is food. I eat it. Yeah. I'm a carnivore. I'm not a hypocrite. That's what I like to tell people. Like just because I choose to kill my own food or the, or a good portion of my meat. Mm -hmm. And I take on the responsibility of seeing the animal that I kill. 
versus going through the in and out drive through. Yeah. Like I feel that it's a more responsible way to be a carnivore. That's my own two cents. Mm -hmm. But yeah. people don't look at it that way. I mean, I don't, you know, back when I was a kid, I didn't care. I would kill deer and kill elk. I wouldn't think about anything. Um, but now, I mean, I don't like killing. I don't like actually watching the animal die. I mean, it's not my, not my favorite thing to do, but it is our responsibility. It is what we do. If we're going to eat meat, somebody has to kill it. I'm right. not going to pay somebody else to do it for me. So that means I'm, I need to do it. My family, I don't expect them to go do it. They don't, I don't want them to pay somebody else to do it. So I'll do it for them. And right. that's, that's what we eat. Um, it doesn't mean that I enjoy killing, but I take that responsibility on. You have blood on my hands. That's the way it works. And uh, I don't, I don't think, I think a lot of people eat meat. And like, even if you, you know, where I elk hunt here in Oregon, they have cattle there. And right now it's like, they call Roundup. So they get the, you know, they get the cows and the calves all rounded up and they have to wean them. So right. they have to pull the calves off the cows. That's pretty traumatic. These cows are bellowing. The calves are, it's like, if anybody saw that, they'd be like, that's terrible. Yeah. They're taking that baby from his mother. Yeah, that happens. Right. And then in 18 months, that calf is going to be slaughtered and it's dead. And that's what you're eating. And so an 18 month old animal is killed for you to have a hamburger that was ripped away from his mother. And on the, on the, the flip side, I'm killing a bull that's 10 years old. It's been wild its yeah. entire life. That's lived the best life. You know, it's been a challenge out there for it, but it's been wild and free and it dies by a perfectly placed arrow. To me, that's the most ethical way to do it. You know, I'm not, I'm not hiding behind anything. I'm not, nobody else is killing it for me. I'm doing it. It's hard, but yeah, the alternative is pay somebody else to do it. And it has to go through this whole, you know, it's it's cattle industry which that's fine i you know i'm i'm in support of it but it's not without you know there there are some hard parts to it also right if you're going to eat meat and then even if you're not eating meat there's still animals dying for your existence yeah. so nobody gets out of, out of here free without causing death no nobody gets out of it i think from the hypocritical perspective i i think even as a vegetarian or a vegan, to be anti-hunting based on an emotional, like a, this this is mean or whatever it might be. It's guys like, I don't know if you've driven down Main Street in America, but if you look over to your left and right, you're gonna see Wendy's, you're gonna see yeah. Arby's, you're gonna see McDonald's. Yeah. To your point, it's, it's a much more ethical way. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the most... It's, it's a loud community of people that, that want to take our ability to hunt away. And to be that loud, it also means that they have to have a lot of meat eaters within that crowd because they're not all living by what I would say the, yeah. the ethics and logic in which they're promoting for us. I don't think they quite understand it. Mm. Um, you know, they are. They're, they're amazing. They're beautiful animals. Yeah. Like when you're... When you have the opportunity, and I mean, obviously you have, but it's just like this, this year I had some incredible experiences. Like the hunting has provided me in, with animals that most people don't have. I sat yeah. in the middle of this herd in Utah. Wind was just right. I wasn't in the middle. I was like kind of, it was like off 
but they were around me. The mm-hmm. wind was just perfect. Yeah. And there's a cow and a cow calf, like cow, cow, cow. There's cows all around. There's a couple mm-hmm. satellite bulls and a couple spikes. And one was like raking a tree. And there's a cow calf, like quite literally eight yards from me. Mm-hmm. And it's bull, satellite bulls are kind of moving around, doing their thing, elk stuff, you know, yeah. like random stuff, like scraping on trees, yeah. like doing stuff. And I'm like, that's awesome. I just sat there for two hours because mm-hmm. wind's perfect. I was waiting for this one bull that was there was a bigger the bigger bull out of those and i was mm-hmm. waiting for him and mm-hmm. i was just I was like i'm just gonna wait him out because if i move left or right by like six inches wind's fucking perfect i'm in a great spot i had two little trees that were right in front of me i could see these other satellite bulls moving around all within about 40 yards i'm like if i just wait here something's you know, gonna happen big boy's gonna present yeah. himself yeah so i just got to literally yeah lay in them. the grass in the sun with these elk for two hours as they were doing elk stuff, just yeah, watching them, man. Wild elk. Dude. How special is that? It's, it's almost spiritual when you think about it. Like, it was amazing. I, I enjoyed yeah. every minute of that experience. Mm-hmm. Every minute. Like, I don't want this to end. I actually don't even care if, if he presents himself right yeah. now. I don't care. And the second the wind changed, mm-hmm. they blew out of there like they got <laughs> struck by lightning. Yeah. But I got yeah. two hours with those guys. Yeah, that's a that's a unique experience. That that's people. I mean, so we're not just obsessed with killing. Yeah. To your point, what you, that story, nothing died there, but you were just you were enriched by the experience of being around a wild animal for that long and watching it interact and communicate with with each other. It's uh, you know, and then when when a death does happen and you have killed. To me, there's nothing more as pure than having that weight on my back, packing my kill out of the mountains. It's like, that just feels like that's what it means to be a human, that that's how you survive. Right. You know, that feels, that just feels right to me. That's what we're supposed to be doing. You know, everything else we, you know, you run, go through McDonald's and, you know, they, they say the average American throws away 40% of their food. Right in the garbage. So that includes these lives of these cows or these chickens or whatever else. So they're 40% of their existence is going in the garbage. And whereas hunters, we value that meat as as if it were gold. So we're the opposite end of that spectrum where every ounce is cherished. And it's like, to me, that seems so easy to distinguish the difference and to embrace the hunting aspect as opposed to the consumer aspect. But I think it's just a matter of getting that message out and just explaining ourselves better. Right. Yeah, my uh, my cousin, uh, we were at six months apart. He's a, he was a professor at the University of Montana for a number of years. Um, does, still does a ton of hunting and uses my grandfather's rifle mm. from World War II to kill a cow every year or wow. whatever. But, you know, you remember those moments when, you know, I was, I was over at his house and he's like, pulls, you know, pulls up and out of the fridge. He's like, oh, you want some, you know, you want some backstrap? And, you know, folds out the white paper, the butcher paper, you know, he spent the time butchering yeah. it. He didn't, he, he shot it, he packed it, he butchered it, he wrapped it, pulled it out of the refrigerator and, you know, we ate 
as a family, something that, you know, he took mm-hmm. in a very special and meaningful place, the same spot my grandfather shot elk, not the exact one, but, you know, the, the region, right? The same spot that my great-grandfather's, like, they killed cows, they killed bulls, they killed deer. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's not only tradition, but it's also not what I think a lot of anti-hunters think it is because mm-hmm. it's a more ethical way to be a carnivore. It, it is. I, I firmly believe it is. Yeah, so do I. I mean, just as Tanner and his buddy Brock killed a buck yesterday, had tenderloins this morning for breakfast. Nice. It's just like <laughs> the, those those meals are, you know, they'll never forget that breakfast, mm-hmm. right? Nope. And so how often do you buy a hamburger? Do you think about that moment? Mm-hmm. That never, you know, it's like, <laughs> oh, I wonder what what tag number this cow had in his ear. You know right. what I mean? It's like, no, there's no, no, it doesn't mean anything. Doesn't mean anything. My my grandfather shot a moose, brought it home from Alaska um, when I was like five, mm-hmm. probably, probably five. Mm. I can still smell I it. Remember it? I can still smell it because he opened up the moose. We had you know, two eggs over easy and moose sausage that my grandfather, you know, brought back from, from Alaska. And I can mm-hmm. still like feel their kitchen and smell, you know, smell things that were cooking it that day. And it was, it was five years old. Yeah. You want me to recount a fucking McDonald's cheeseburger? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? No, I know. <laughs> it doesn't make any, does no. it resonate? No, it, and it, you know, that's life. That's what, that's a meaningful life mm-hmm. is having, Killing, uh, processing, cooking, eating that wild animal. That's how it's meant to be. Mm-hmm. Everything else is like a, some watered down version of that. Yeah. But that's how it's supposed to be. And so that's when it, when we do it, it feels right. It feels like, okay, this is, that's why when people hunt and they, it feels familiar from the get go. Right. It feels like, man, this feels I don't know why this feels familiar, but this feels feels like I'm supposed to be doing this because we are. Yeah, you know, and it's it's that you know you you wish you could share that with everybody that feeling. Of course, not everybody's going to hunt because of whatever else, but just to be able to try to explain that, and maybe people listening to this and maybe who don't hunt would be like, oh man, that makes a lot of sense. That's our job as hunters to to explain the tradition correctly and why it's so powerful. And it's just, I don't know. I feel, I feel personally lucky. I know you probably feel lucky too, to come from some small town redneck existence (laughs) where no, this is just what, what we do. This is, you know, so now there's people who want maybe from the outside in looking at it and maybe they were grew up in a, in a city and they thought they were blessed by all these opportunities of the bright lights and the art and this and that. I'm just as blessed to be, be from a small logging town yeah. as anybody could who grew up in New York or any any faraway place that's you know uh, a, a tourist attraction type thing. I mean, nobody's nobody's making a vacation to go to Marcola, Oregon, but thank <laughs> God I'm from there, dude. I think about that and I say that a lot. Where you know, pe- people talk about why well, I wasn't born um, privileged. Right, mm-hmm. where I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my right. mouth, or I wasn't born privileged. Actually, I was. Like my my parents weren't wealthy, um, 
none of my, like nobody was. But yeah. Like my entire family, my, for for the most part, everybody, man, they were positive. They were, they were a family. Mm. Like I spent time with my cousins, my aunts, my uncles. We grew up in a really, really small town in the middle of nowhere. We spent time together as a family. Mm. We encouraged each other. That's pretty. We rare. fucking loved That's each other. That's pretty lucky. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Yeah. So I've changed it because I used to I used to talk about or hear people say, "Well, I, I didn't have you know wealth or privilege." And I was mm. like, "Actually, I had something way more important than that." Yeah. I had a dad that got up every day at four thirty in the morning and went to work, like working in the woods. I mm. never saw him inebriated in my life. Mm. Never, never saw him inebriated. I saw him. He came to every one of my baseball games. He came to my basic training graduation, special forces graduation. He showed up every that's rare. fucking week. Yeah, you're lucky. And so that's what that's that's what I got, man. I, I actually got something better. That's a true silver spoon right <laughs> yeah. there. Yeah. yeah, man, I got it. It's better. It's better than the silver spoon, you yeah. know? And it's like, I got hugs. Yeah. I got people high-fiving me and telling me jokes when I was a kid. I mm. didn't get like people punching me in the mouth, so I feel good. Mm-hmm. And I actually feel because of that, like I've been way luckier to have been inspired and raised by a bunch of real people. You know, like I, I was sitting in a bar last night with uh, my buddies in um, um, is in Maple Valley. And um, this dudes I knew from the army, you know, like we're just hanging out. And I was like, this great man this is like this is this is like every, not every day but this is like this is life and these are people who are real they're just like the people i grew up with mm-hmm. you know they're not some boardroom and you know new york and I, i've never been comfortable with that to begin with like i'm not comfortable with that stuff like i, I used to kick uh people out of my offices if they were wearing like um expensive Dress shoes, dress shoes, and shirts. And if they were, if they were, if they were, like I kicked a guy out of my office, a finance guy, because he was wearing fucking gold cufflinks and a crazy watch. I was like, you got to get out of here, man. You're never going to fit in here, dude. Like, we got calluses on our hands here, even Mm. though we're like doing this. It might be from barbells, but yeah, super fortunate to have grown up where I grew up. Wow. I think that's why you have the perspective you have, even given all these this turbulence, you know, the, the, the blessings and the challenges, it's like that your upbringing, that being around positive people, feeling that care and love, that's what's made you have the perspective you have to be able to, Hey, we're going to get through this. It's going to be okay. It's I'm going to deal with this. This is, I had this weights on my shoulders, but I'm built for it. I mean, that's, it's, it's the whole journey was prepared you for this. I think so. Yeah, I mean, I, I still talk to everybody. Like mm-hmm. that's that's the other thing. Like I, I still talk to my like cousin who's a diesel mechanic out in Port Orchard. I still talk to my other cousin who's a you know PhD in genetics in Missoula. I still mm-hmm. I still talk to everybody, man. Yeah, like, yeah. And they still they don't they don't treat me any different, which mm-hmm. is great because I would have it no other way. I was telling Joe this the other day. I was like, I stopped at a convenience store in Lewiston, Idaho, and I was pumping gas and. um Oh, I heard from across the the way in the convenience store, at least some dude yelling, what's up, douchebag? Like, you, like, you know, something crazy, right? Yeah. You know, like, and he's like, comes yelling across the parking lot. And I was like, this dude that I 
went to high school with. I was like really good money with. He's like, "What are you doing, man? You trolling for dudes or what? you know something?" Right? And just starts yeah. instantly making fun of me, and I was like, "God, this is so great." Yeah, <laughs> like, I'm so glad I can come home, and people are like, "Man, you're you're a yeah. dork." Yeah, like, you're fair. Yeah, that's fair. I am. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what a what a journey. Well, yeah. man. Evan, thank you for coming to, Thanks, to my little studio here. And I know you've done a lot of podcasting and a lot of things to do. So it means a lot that you'd come here and, and hang out with me. Thank you. Dude, I love it. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it, Cam. I uh, appreciate everything you do out there for everybody in the archery community for, you know, inspiring a ton of guys, man. Like you're, uh, you're very inspiring for a bunch of people, specifically in the veteran community, guys that, you know, I'm not speaking for everybody, but what you're doing is important, man. And I, I honestly can't, can't thank you enough for having me up. Oh, th and I'm, I'm thankful Black Rifle Coffee is part of this too. Yeah. I mean, you're helping make this possible and it's, uh, it, it means a lot. So we'll keep doing good work. Awesome. All Thanks, right. Steve. Thank you. One of my favorite packages that I get on a monthly basis is a Black Rifle Coffee Club exclusive coffee roast. The only way you can get it is if you subscribe to the coffee club. This month's coffee is a dark roast called Gothic Serpent. The exclusive coffee subscription gives you nothing but the best. It's a coffee of the month club where you get premium roasts from the best farms worldwide. Black Rifle Coffee is America's coffee. It's veteran owned and operated. They support hunting and conservation and give back immensely to the veteran community. They're offering followers of the podcast 20% off on your first purchase to the coffee club or order on their site using code KEEPHAMMERING to get America's coffee today. Mountain Ops has been my go-to supplements for the past seven years. My exclusive Keep Hammering line of products offers a blended protein powder, BCAs, and a pre-workout that I take every day. I also use their greens, reds, and they actually have a new hydration product called Hydrate that I use before every run. Mountain Ops has been a great partner over the years, and I especially love all they do to give back to the community. Every purchase made on the Mountain Ops website gives back to a family in need. They also give away a ton of different hunting opportunities. They even gave away an elk hunt and a deer hunt at one of my most cherished hunting spots in Utah. If you listen to the podcast, you also get 20% off by using code CAM, that's C-A-M, at www.mountainops.com.